This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Hi, I'm Nate. I'm Gail. And this is Full Mutuality. Before we get into today's conversation, we want to give a quick shout out and a big thank you to our very first patron. I didn't know if we wanted to name them or not, but you know what? I do want to do this. Janice Legata, because I am so thankful for her. And I really believe that those of you who support us are the producers of this show. Yes, Janice is an incredible content creator herself. She makes music videos, um, short films and podcasts. Specifically for uh, those of us who are deconstructing and decolonizing um, our evangelical beliefs. Um, so if that's you or you want to check out her content, please head over to JaniceLagata.com uh, just to see all of her stuff. Janice is a great friend. And speaking of her podcast, her main one's called God Has Not Given. And, you know, if you ever want to check out what we're up to, uh, we've had Janice on our podcast, but sometimes we go on other people's podcasts. And Nate has actually done a few episodes over at Janice's podcast, God Has Not Given. They did one entitled Creative Theft about your time at Hillsong. And uh, you guys did another one on being non-white in an evangelical environment. Both of those were really interesting conversations. So I really think everyone needs to go check out those. Yes, absolutely. So go subscribe to Janice's podcast. Again, the name is God Has Not Given. Um, you can subscribe on, of course, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so Janice, thank you again so much for being our first patron. And if you like what you hear on our show, you could still become our second patron. <laughs> Just head on over to patreon.com slash fullmutuality to become a partner of our show. So on today's episode, um, we actually have two folks who are connected to my alma mater, Bob Jones University, uh, Lance Weldy and Peter Crane. Lance is the editor of the book, BJU and Me, Queer Voices from the World's Most Christian University. Um, and Peter is one of the contributors, uh, both Lance and Peter graduated from undergrad at Bob Jones University. Peter was one of my classmates, and uh, we sang in choir together for a couple of years. Um, their book is a powerful compilation of stories from LGBTQ folks who attended the university, and it will be available on June 15th, but you can pre-order it now, and we'll go ahead and put the links in the show notes um, so you can pick it up. We've been reading through the book of queer stories from Bob Jones University. We found it to be fascinating. Uh, and we think it's really important, not just for people who are at Bob Jones University, but we know there are queer students in many Christian universities and settings where it might be very difficult. So we know it's important, this conversation, for people to understand that there's hope outside of indoctrination. And if you're in the closet and feel and are not feeling very safe, we just want you to know that there's people you could reach out to. If you want to contact us through our website, fullmutuality.com, you could do that. If you'd like a list of resources, communities that can come alongside and help you in your journey, especially if you're a queer person in a community that's conservative or fundamentalist or an evangelical environment, uh, we want to be a support to you. This conversation, even though it's a heavy topic, we think it's an important one, and we had a lot of fun. So we hope you enjoy listening along. And without further ado... Here's our conversation with Lance and Peter. So I think we'll start off the conversation talking about um, what 
BJU is. So Lance, if actually you could give us a quick little overview oh, of the uh, <laughs> teacher and yeah. all, oh, yeah, great. And, yeah. and and being the, the as you like to say, the senior one of us. Yeah, well, yeah I am the elder here. Please respect <laughs> me at all times. I appreciate that. I uh, I've been here longer. All that good stuff. Yes. You remember the old school BJU I, stuff. So I, give us that. I, yeah, I'm the 20th century representative here. So uh, <laughs> as I tell my students, I guess, uh, but I guess what, BJ, what BJU is, I guess, I mean, I'm not, um, you know, a re- religious historian by trade, I guess, technically, but I guess enough of it, I could just say is a, it's a, a, a small private fundamentalist uh, college uh, that's been around since 1927 and has moved around a couple of times and has finally landed, I believe it was in 1947 in Greenville, South Carolina, has been there ever since um, and was started uh, by the, I believe, Methodist uh, evangelist Bob Jones Sr. and then um, uh, as the president and then it's the dynastic kind of a situation uh, and so his uh, son and then grandson took over as a uh, university uh, respective presidents and then his great-grandson Stephen Jones took over and then had to step down for health issues in 2013 and then they have a, a non-Jones president starting in 2014 uh, but it's uh, non-denominational hmm. but uh, you know, <laughs> it tends to align itself pretty closely to the the fundamentalist Baptist ideology. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Despite claiming that they are non-denominational. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. And and those religious historians out there who are listening and and the purists who would love to correct all this stuff that I'm getting wrong will f- f- throw Methodist in there and you know the the beginning <laughs> for Methodist and I'll say Presbyterian. Pres- yeah, yeah. Fa- yeah uh, um, and I'm a second generation Bob Jones student. And when my parents were there in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, they organized your Sunday school uh, get togethers by denomination. And so oh. that was a that was a thing. Uh, they had a lot more students back then. Uh, but I think uh, my mom was non-denominational. And I think my dad, my dad was maybe Baptist or uh, I'm not quite sure. But that is how the saying goes, is mm. that how they did it. Of course, in our time, it was through our society, um, our literary societies, at least at my, in right. my time. Right. But, um, but yes, it's, I think, technically it's supposed to be non-denominational. So if you do want to be kind of exotic, you go to that faith-free Presbyterian church or you <laughs> go to that Bible church uh, in, in Greer or whatever. But yeah. What I find so just actually just a point of clarification, though, because I think a a lot of a lot of listeners who are um, familiar with mainstream evangelicalism will hear the phrase non-denominational and and the image of, say, um, an Andy Stanley or a Perry Noble style church comes to mind. But that's not at all what uh, what Bob Jones University would have even come close to looking like in their version of non-denominational, right? Well, it's, well, and again, this is probably where my ignorance would uh, show up is like non-denominational is more, uh, I guess, separational. It's, it's, uh, it's not going to be uh, uh, following some sort of uh, Pentecostal or evangelical order of events or, or things like that, or, or the accoutrements up on stage. Right. Right. I think um, I, I think just to, to kind of paint the picture, one of the things when when we talk about um, the idea of non-denominational at 
a place like Bob Jones, it's what you were just saying, Lance, the, the sort of separatist ideology. They don't want to be uh, affiliated with any of those labels, whereas a non-denominational church by sort of the mainstream evangelical standards is one that uh, would welcome you no matter what your previous denominational affiliation is, but we're sort of the new style of church that doesn't have the music standards or dress standards that the other churches might have in your past. So we're non-denominational because we're not like your, you know, uh, Southern Baptist stylized churches. But so just to kind of paint the picture for those of you who are listening and are are like, oh, Bob Jones is non-denominational. Yeah. Yes. But in a different way. Let's throw in some of the interesting Bob Jones facts into here, yeah. since we're getting yeah. into it. I mean, from what I understand, uh, Bob Jones is sort of one of those evangelical flagship things, uh, organizations. It's a university. Uh, it's on the, more in the fundamentalist spectrum. And if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, it started as a response to uh, church, uh, to schools integrating, and uh, this fear that was being stirred up of oh my goodness, white kids are going to be going into school with black kids. So it was this response to trying to desegregate um, and ha having integration, and this was sort of a backlash. Bob Jones was a school uh, where white parents could feel safe. I mean, of course, they're going to say that wasn't what it was about, but <laughs> a lot of white parents were feeling that this was a safe option to send their kids to um, instead of being pushed to desegregate. And Bob Jones had policies in place way past any other schools that I know, main colleges or universities in the States where they enforce those segregationist mind mentalities and mindsets. So you guys want to elaborate on any of those points? Am I totally off? Because I'm not, a, I'm the only non-Bob Jones alumni <laughs> yeah. in this group. <laughs> yeah, I would, you, no. oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, Lance. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. And, and again, I think, uh, uh, you know, religious historian would say it would go, it's going farther back than than the 70s or the 60s of the segregation and stuff. Um, and what I've been able to piece together in, in my research so far um, is that, it, you know, it, it was a response to modernism in the 20s um, and ev evolution being taught as a fact in public schools. And so right. that's the, which is still kind of, I guess you could say a hallmark. Uh, but I mean, what you're talking about is definitely a part of that um, mm -hmm. as, uh, as it was the journey of it, we'll say. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I believe like, like the direct reason was as this response to like, oh, they're making us, it's evolution. They're making us teach it as a fact in public schools. We got to get out of there. And so yep. it was began there and, and y'all can take over and connect it to Peter. I was going to say the, the one thing that I get as far as like most people recognizing Bob Jones, when I say, oh, I went to Bob Jones um, and either I get people that have like blank faces, blank faces, no clue. <laughs> or like you can see it on their face they're like oh you went to that school like bob jones uh versus the united states of america supreme mm -hmm. court case bob jones where they had to go all the way to the supreme court about their uh in in regards to their rule against interracial dating so the the, the bob jones and race like it's always been a complicated history for the school mm -hmm. And that seems that specific issue, I think, is the one that a lot of people recognize the school for as far as it's like publicity and what yeah. it's known for. So I have to like explain why I chose to go to a school that had that role. <laughs> and like, I mean, and it went on for a pretty long time, if I'm not mistaken, right? When yeah, you were there, I, don't, I don't know exact dates. Yeah, um, I, I think if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, it was in the year 2000 that they officially um, removed the rule. 
but there were still some vestiges of that rule floating around. For example, um, I was dating a white girl and, um, a, apparently i don't know if this was something that um that was like maybe a, a thing that her her parents wanted to um adhere to or if this was something that somebody in her dorm had mentioned oh you're dating somebody who's not white Ooh. therefore you need to have a, a permission slip although i was never required to get a permission slip signed no because um, you were you were not the white one <laughs> well, so that's, you didn't no. need... well, well that's interesting <laughs> that that the onus was not on you um but on her. Right. On the white parents to be okay with her dating and yeah. on white parents. Yeah. When I first well, heard this story, yeah. I was like completely blown away that they could get away with doing this yeah. anywhere. <laughs> and and like I was just stunned that you actually went through that. In the twenty first century. What year was this? Right. Like two thousand and it was I started there in two thousand and three. I believe it might have been two thousand four. Uh although actually, no, I think it was it was my first semester there. Um, because mm -hmm. after that, um, anytime I started dating somebody, um, which I don't, I don't know how, how you can call it really dating by, by most, by <laughs> most standards. Dating is uh, a, a whole other <laughs> can of worms from what I hear yeah. what that entails. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, th you I would. You sat net too close to a girl you're dating right, right now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Technically, technically, yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, you made eye babies with her on the couch. <laughs> okay, I gotta explain that phrase. That was something. Eye babies. That is that. <laughs> That's a Bob Jones term. I, when he said it to uh, me, I was like, right. "What are you saying? Yeah. Oh what my are you goodness! About? That's that is scandalous." So I don't. I don't know, uh, Peter. Did you hear that phrase when you were around? Oh, eye babies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would have turned both of y'all in because that is that is uh, oh. re that's, that's suggestive of reproductive stuff and Whole genital other, stuff like, and and uh, yeah. We had something called cow-eyed stares because we were very uh, cow-eyed stares. We were more G-rated in the 20th century, late 20th century. So, uh, but the eye baby stare, you probably would have gotten in trouble for like if if a someone really wanted to be mean to you uh, making eye babies making babies getting yeah. it on i mean i'm making that step right now and i'm, I'm sanctified as it is and I'm, I'm i'm having trouble looking at you guys right now but go ahead yeah, to, okay to explain because we've used this phrase a few times um because there was a no contact rule um at at the university six um, inches yeah, d uh, dating couples uh, had to had to keep physical distance from each other. They weren't never allowed to touch. They would stand. They couldn't hold hands. Right, they couldn't hold oh, hands. They could, yeah. All, on, only in specific uh, yes. scenarios, like dating yes. outings. Right, like dating very outings. Very rare. Where the activity actually required for it. Yeah. Which required they conveniently hand came up with activities that required probably. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Like this is how, yeah, we come up with like specific activities yes. designed. Very yeah. rare. Once a year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once a year you get so, to hold hands. Yes. So what happens in these fundamentalist circles where you're not even allowed holding hands except right. for once a year under a chaperone and specific yes. requirements. <laughs> so you is see that these you couples end up... um standing uh uncomfortably close to each other. Um <laughs> and staring into each other's eyes. Um where wishing you, they could make out with each other. Where are you doing can. this? Are you doing this in the dating parlor? Or are you doing this at the dining? Where are you doing I, this at? Dating parlor. Oh, these are teaser. These yeah. are Bob yes. Jones things. I right? saw a couple See the doing glossary. this. All right. Yeah. Yes. In, the, in 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 Lance's book, there will be a glossary. So yeah. Um, but wow. in um, I I saw some couples doing this. Um, even like 
out in in the area in front of the snack shop between the snack shop and the dating parlor mm-hmm. that little uh pavilion area the mall you were making eye yeah. babies outside of the dating parlor yeah <laughs> yeah it was, it was uh, <laughs> and you walk past that and and in any other school that would um, be such weird you, behavior. It, hey, it would be very weird behavior. You'd be like, just go, go to your dorm. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Like, what the fuck what are you the doing? <laughs> Not together. Not even. Uh, no. No. That's a, yeah. No. At any uh, state school, yes. But no, yeah. uh, like, not an event. You couldn't do that at, like, uh, Crown College, well, not Crown oh, College. Uh, maybe not Co- uh, what's it? Cedarville? Calvin College or Ke- oh, yeah. Ooh, Cedarville? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. So yeah. if you were straight and you snuck someone of the opposite sex in your dorm, you get expelled, kind of a oh, thing. Oh, that's gra- that's immediate oh, yeah. expulsion. I mean, there's okay. there's a, there's very little I, opportunity um, because there there are people stationed at every floor at every entryway in no. in the dorm buildings. I'm just wanting to paint the pictures of like if this is so we're talking about uh we're talking about fundamentalism within evangelicalism and Bob Jones being a fundamentalist school um and we're talking about how even if you were straight the rules were really really tight very sexually repressed really stringent lots of uh punishments being handed out for the most minor things and so the topic that we're getting into today and that we're going to be talking about is what is it like to be a queer kid? <laughs> a queer kid. <laughs> Not mm. even a straight Nate was a straight kid. Straight Nate. White. Straight. straight Nate. <laughs> Although he didn't have the white thing going for him. And that like I, that yeah. story still still blows my mind that you had to do a permission slip. And and I won't we won't get sidetracked too far off there. But like now we're going into if you're not straight, mm-hmm. this is this this is the theme of the book that you've put together. This is your story, Peter. This is your story, Lance. You guys have, have were queer students in Bob Jones. So I don't know who are we going to start with <laughs> in unraveling, telling well, your story. It's, it's How'd funny. you end up in Bob Jones? Well, it's funny. We're, we're talking about like how, you know, guys and girls aren't, weren't allowed to hold hands or, you know, or touch in any way. And then, and I was thinking, meanwhile, you know, like I'm giving guys back rubs in the dorms. And I know. was reading that in your the chapter of your book. <laughs> yeah, Atlanta, exactly. About Peter's story yeah. about the back rubs. <laughs> and, you know, and, and about you having a crush on so many boys. Oh, and as gosh. I was reading yeah. that, I was like, Nate was like the straight version of you. Like he had <gasps> crushes on everyone. Straight he was Nate. always crushing on all the girls. <laughs> like he'll often say to me, oh, that will watch TV show. I had a crush, such a big crush on him. Like you had a crush on everyone. Yeah. Like you had a crush. Yeah. So you're, you're the queer version of Nate. You had lots of, <laughs> from what I was reading in your chapter, yeah, you had I, a lot of guy crushes. Yeah. I, I've been learning a lot about myself since coming mm-hmm. out and since my days at Bob Jones and learning about my capacity to love has been one of those things. And my, my capacity for just finding connection with people and being able to embrace that about myself and not be ashamed about it uh just mm. an example of one of those things that i've learned you know since my time at bob jones versus you know what i was what i was taught when i was younger and what i've learned about myself now yeah yeah tell and, that to your hall leader about capacity to love peter i don't think that's gonna <laughs> that's not especially gonna about the back rubs and yeah, tell no. him about <laughs> that's, that's brotherly love but no no we can't do that no. wait lance I mean, no, they were they were ras by the time by the time Peter and I were were there, that's an RA, uh, a it's resident a, assistant. Yeah. yeah, are these the police of your school? They, they were they were students, <laughs> depending uh, Under, undergrad students. Yeah, an uh, yeah. RA is I think more of a secularized term that mm-hmm. they've uh, mm-hmm. uh, that I've Have I put co-opted uh, probably. I mean a yeah. little bit. Uh, uh, I mean the history and that was that's part of the glossary too because that the name okay. has has changed. But in yeah. in our in my time back in 
the 20, late 20th century when there was a saxophonist in the White House. Yeah. Uh, it was um, – uh, were your school spies, weren't they? The, the what? The school spies. We, yeah. uh, well, everybody was. Yeah. Potentially everybody was yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to be like a spy, but uh, we called but them hall leader. Like, yeah. yeah. They, they we were the ones like pro-level spies. Right, right. Oh, pro-level spies, right? The ones that got extra points for being, like, they're the they, big shots. They spies. were the ones who were um, officially given a title by the university yeah. to spy on us. It was their they job. Were, they were yeah, good well, enough yeah. as spies that they were given this position of leadership over their fellow students. Yes. And I think that's important to understand in terms of culture of, of Bob Jones because there's a level of fear like there's shame, there's fear, there's rules, but there's like this just culture of not being allowed to do anything without getting in trouble, of feeling like people are going to turn you in. That's mm-hmm. like a that's a regular kind of vibe going on in the background of Bob Jones, right? Like it's <laughs> yeah. you. Get, I mean, Nate has uh, trauma. I mean, I think you're part of a group called the Discipline Committee online, Nate. Oh where, yeah, like, I'm, I'm part of a <laughs> what? Uh, yes, there's a there's a chat group that um, <laughs> a former um, a former professor at Bob Jones actually started this group um, and and got together a, a handful of um, uh, BJU survivors. Um, to, but the title, yes, is is sort of just that making fun of the fact that that's that was traumatizing, yeah, right? Like discipline yeah. committee, like it, that was a part of Bob Jones. So life, yeah, they, right? like, they named it the discipline committee um, as a nod to <laughs> the discipline committee at BJU, which was, um, you know, to to explain it a little bit. Um, if you uh, ever broke any of the rules at Low, mostly lower level infractions because uh, bigger infractions you would go directly to the dean. Um, but if you had a girl in your dorm, oh, that's yeah, <gasps> oh, that's you'd, that yeah. you'd be gone, you'd be disappeared. No, okay. yeah, yeah, that's not. Hey, what's a low level infraction? Is this your hair is not parted right, or is uh, this your, yeah, your, your hair yeah, is, isn't isn't cut short enough too as, a, as a guy? Yeah. You haven't shaved that day. Um, you didn't make your bed. Uh, Did you guys all get in trouble for these things? Each of you? Uh, yes. No, I was a good yeah, Christian. You were good, Lance? Oh, <laughs> Peter? A, uh, you uh, there were a few, a few days that I did not empty the trash like I was supposed to. Oh, you, you didn't know. clean your room. Yeah. Mm. That's yeah. The, What's that's, the worst thing you got in trouble for at Bob Jones? Um, I think you oh, went the worse worst than clothing fractions. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, what's the biggest thing you got demerits for, like in one <laughs> chunk? In one chunk, the what made you feel the most threatened that you might get kicked out eventually? Um, there what, were a couple instances. Actually, one was um, related to music. Um, I was in charge of music for my society's. Like, uh, we had a a Bible study dating outing, which was a terrible idea. But we got together what? with our sister what? society. How did this? Who thought of that? It, I don't Oof. know. Um, we got together with our sister society and we planned this little, um, almost like a campfire. Um, I guess in, in the mainstream evangelical world, you'd call it like a worship night. We, we planned like a campfire singspiration, uh, as they would, as some fundamentalist churches would call it. And I, I was in charge of putting together the, the music for it. And, uh, one of the songs, wait, you played a rock song at this? No. Well, one of the songs that it was something really vile newsboys was, um, Above All by Michael W. Smith. Michael w. <gasps> oh, yeah. I know him. <gasps> yeah. Whoa. Blasphemous yeah. me. And that was um that was Let's fifty demerits, I believe. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. But but did you how did you think you were gonna get away with it? Because you're doing I, this in front of an audience of people, you thought none of them would recognize this song. Um <laughs> I'm not grilling you, I'm just very curious yeah. about your thought pattern from <laughs> I, however long ago. Twenty something in yeah. your <laughs> Exactly. I, so I, I honestly 
there there was a part of me that was like, I don't care. I, it was my junior year at this point, and I was at I was I had already crossed that threshold of yeah. Um, I don't give a shit anymore, and I'm gonna I'm this song as I, I was still wanting to be a devout Christian, and this song gave me all the Christian feels. So Aww. I so I I chose it, and it and a lot of Terrible, people loved bad. it. Bad, but bad. They loved it. This was my thought. If anybody who anyone who knew what that song was knew the artist who wrote it, wouldn't turn me in because they would feel the same way about that song that I did. And the people who would okay. want to turn me in for something like that aren't the type of people who would listen to that music anyway. Yeah, that okay. was my That's theory. Why you it would fly under That's the smart. Radar. No, Clearly I get it you. Didn't work. I get <laughs> you. <laughs> I was gonna say there was a bunch of us listening to that kind of stuff anyway, but. You yeah, know, we're, we're so of... funny for me as an evangelical, <clears throat> former evangelical, to think that the contraband music in your school is Michael W. Smith. Like I, <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my mind around getting in trouble for playing a Michael W. Smith worship song. You know, like it's, it's so wild. It's so the Christian good. contemporary music yep. would be anything that is non-separatist. It's it's mm -hmm. it's the sounding like the world. So anything from Sandy Patty mm -hmm. to Michael W. Smith to Stephen Curtis Chapman, Steve Green, whoever in the 90s yeah. uh yeah. Would, would not check because or carmen or whoever because they're going to have a beat to their song they're going to have something and it's reminiscent or it's going to make it's it's part it sounds like the worldly secular music yeah. so. it's a slippery slope you know it's you start listening to michael slope. w smith and then the next <laughs> thing you know you're listening to you'll be a crossover you know. artist like amy grant <laughs> yes and that exactly got her, and, you'll and divorce then you're going to become husband. gay and yeah. uh yeah. wait well, well, we're all we're sort yeah. of on topic. Next thing you're doing a collaboration with Elton John, you know. Yes, <laughs> but I will say awesome. our my dorm supervisor tried to like always say this one shtick about like, okay, you people, because everyone, all the cool kids had a guitar. I didn't have one, obviously, but all the all the cool kids would have a guitar and you could play it like after quiet hour in your dorm and all that sort of stuff. And like, there's the, those Classical are the cool style people only. Well, and, and he he'd be like, you know what? Uh, people try to get past me, and they'll play like in a classical style, like Stairway to Heaven or something. But I, I that all the time. I'm on, <laughs> I'm on to them. I know, like, so he, you know, he's like, and you're like, how do you know all the secular music? I was like, I don't know that song. What are you talking about? And I really didn't. But uh, that's a, that's a different story. But yeah, well, that's how I learned those those songs that they sounded. They sound like, I mean. Look, uh, you know, my, my feelings on this band currently notwithstanding, um, I learned uh, some of the intro riffs to a few of Creed's songs because <laughs> on an acoustic guitar, they sound classical. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get around those Bob Jones rules already. Yeah, yep. we, find, well, we find ways. <laughs> yes. So I wanted to get back to your stories. Um, and we got into like just how the culture was a fear and punishment and yeah. how, you know, you could get in trouble for so many different things. Uh, Peter, where at which point did you realize that you were gay and you're in a you went grew up in a fundamentalist school mm -hmm. yeah and... so i i grew up at a at a school uh, a baptist uh, independent fundamentalist baptist school um up in vermont but it was it was very connected to bob jones um again read about it in lance's book um <laughs> you know uh and i carry you know i that's where a lot of the culture of bob jones was kind of like put into me as a young child, you know, from a very young age. Um, 
as far as like me knowing when I was gay, it's it's kind of it, that's an interesting question because it kind of comes in stages as far as far as like self-realization goes. And and then shame plays a huge role in that and like what you allow yourself to even realize about yourself. Um, when I first knew that I was like attracted to to men, um, it was pretty young, you know, like five years old, a little bit later. It's like you you realize pretty young when you know you're different from the other kids as far as like what you're drawn to. Um, again, at five, though, you know, like you're not thinking in complete adult terms around it, you know, but it's you know that there's something different about you. And so you immediately start to recognize this difference um, and you're not sure how, what to call it at that age or anything. But then progressively, as I grew up in that environment there were things that i would do and i would learn quite quickly which things were okay and which things weren't okay as far as behavior as far as like how i express myself toward other uh boys and girls you know like what's okay what isn't and realizing oh this is one of those things that's part of this part of myself that i can't let people see because i'm, I'm different in a way that will you know i'll people won't you know respond positively to it and so that again that's where you start creating this deep-seated urge to just make everybody happy around you so that you don't rock you know rock the waters as a as a little queer kid you know yeah. i don't know if, i think that as, answered your question <laughs> i think it it sort of answers it so it was like yeah. young but it's maybe didn't have words and you're just kind of observing reactions yeah. to different things yeah was there any conversations about gay people that went on that sort yeah. of where you were able to be like oh, that's me and they're talking in a certain way about yeah. it and now i know they're that's how they're going to respond to me yeah yeah absolutely you know the, you, you start to learn oh you, oh this person do we don't talk about this person they're they're gay or whatever we don't we don't and and understanding what that meant and hearing oh so and so you know he's he's gay he does things with men you know oh we you know and then um and again this is in the in the book um i talk about my experience growing up in Vermont during the gay marriage debates that happened in the late nineties. And that was really when I was like full force, you know, like middle schooler fully coming into my like sexuality and understanding what it meant to really be attracted to men and having to process all of that while my, my pastor is preaching on, on a pretty regular basis, like condemning homosexuality because it's in the news all the time. Like we're, they're having debates on, do we let gay people get married and have the same benefits as uh, a heterosexual couple? And what does that mean for society? And, you know, how, cause again, like this is, this wasn't just religious people talking about it. Everybody was talking about it. Like, how do we, how do we de deal with this? Cause like a lot of people had gotten to the place where they did have gay people that they loved and wanted to see, you know, happy and ha living fulfilled lives and accessing the same benefits as their heterosexual friends and family. And uh, the culture that I was growing up in at Trinity was very much, this is gonna be really bad. God has a lot to say about being gay and I'm gonna tell you every single bit of it and why we can't allow this to happen. Meanwhile, I'm like, you know, discovering gay porn on the internet and having to deal with those feelings and like <clears throat> praying every day that I could change it because I knew I knew it was bad that you know my pastor had been preaching it you know on a regular basis and like yeah I love how you said in your in your chapter about how and this happens a lot but where how the how the adult inadvertently tells the kid 
how how to do the thing by telling them not to do the thing. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and so he was some some traveling evangelist was at your church telling them telling you how to clear your browser yeah. history or something. Yeah, well he you're like he like, you I'm thinking he came in he came in and had this whole like presentation. It was like a week long thing, and he was presenting like to the parents like you need to the internet is a dangerous place for your kids. They're going to be exposed to all this stuff, and he wasn't wrong. I mean, there's stuff on the internet to for kids mm-hmm. to be exposed to. But the problem was they let us in like the sermons that he was pre like these things. And like, I'm literally sitting there. I'm like, Oh, cookies. Okay. <laughs> browsing, browsing history. Got it. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like, it's okay. Like how helpful was that? Um, but, to, for his goal, it was very helpful for me. Um, but although, you know, dial, when I was discovering the internet, dial up internet was a thing. And so mm-hmm. I was waiting like, you know, half an hour for a picture to load. Yeah. Right. Um, so there wasn't like a, a vast quantity of things I was consuming at this time. Right. <laughs> but you were at odds with your family, though, too, Peter. Uh, you yes. wrote in your chapter that this is happening. And meanwhile, your brother's writing a letter to the editor or reading it, uh, you know, your dad, yeah. or your brother, I'm getting that visual image that you sort of created. Yeah. There. My, my, so the, the, they had basically a public forum kind of, uh, scenario where people could come to the state Capitol and they could talk about personally what it means to them, uh, marriage equality happening in Vermont. And so you had people from both sides doing it and it was, it was being aired live on PBS, like the local, you know, public television, and um yeah my dad decided to go down and my brother was like oh i'll write you know a thing about why you know we can't allow gay marriage to happen because you know he had been convinced that if if gay married would be allowed to gay marriage was happening uh in vermont then all these gay people would come into vermont like basically vermont would become the gay state (laughs) <laughs> be taken over by yeah. the queer so that'd be so cool. oh, exactly i'm like now looking back on it, i'm like oh that would have been a great thing um, but uh how, how old was your brother at that time um this was late 90s so he was in high school at the time he was okay. getting he graduated in 2000 so yeah it was right you know up you know sophomore junior okay. uh that age range Okay. So he's he's kind of parroting the stuff he's been taught all around him. Yeah, not, we, we, not realizing he has a queer brother. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's 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 being raised to believe a certain thing about people, and he has not been given informa- information information uh, contrary to that. So yeah. he's just operating on what he knows. So again, don't hold it, there... don't hold it against him. For what no, he did, right. You know? right. No, we all said it did terrible oh, things oh, yeah. probably <laughs> in our in our teen years where we're like, please, I'm glad no one record. I'm glad we didn't have the internet back yes. when yes. we were growing yeah. up. Exactly. Yes. Oh yes. man. Yeah. I don't even have yeah. to go back that far. I... <laughs> oh yeah, I have Facebook to remind me of stuff statuses yeah. I put up ten years ago, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is bad. Exactly. This is really bad. I delete, delete. But seeing my seeing my dad on TV reading this thing about you know, what my brother wrote about how bad it would be for gay people. And then also um, knowing now um, that my uncle, my dad's uh, older brother, who is gay, was at the Capitol at the same time, you know, oh. while, while he was reading this. And because it was really important to my uncle, too, you know. Yeah. Find out about your uncle. Did that factor into your story at all and learning Absolutely. about him? Did you know he was gay? Not not until recently, like around that same time um, is when I found out we were in the car. I remember my brother, you know, saying something, you know, about gay people. And then my mom deciding at that moment to be like, you really shouldn't say that about gay people because your uncle John is is gay. 
And do you really want that to happen to your Uncle John? Oof. Wow. You know? So you heard your mom defending your yes. uncle who you didn't even know was gay. And yeah. she, was, she was talking about the way that I you, mean, as family, you should be talking about, yeah. about your own family. Looking looking For back me. on it now, you know, absolutely should have known he was gay. You know, there's so many, so many obvious signs as far as like, especially being his friend David that came to every family function, you know. <laughs> uh really good friend <laughs> yeah really good friend he's always, always coming to the family gatherings. that's cool um did you know at that point that you really needed to have a conversation with your uncle like was it one of those moments where you're like somebody i could finally open up to or i wasn't how, quite, how i wasn't quite ready then i to acknowledge it yeah i mean i spoiler alert i didn't come out till i was 25 um which was wow. a lot longer mm. after, you know i was after bob jones it was uh, a few years into working at the press and it really wasn't until my uncle actually re John reached out to me and started to develop a relationship with, with myself. Um, he and my cousin kind of, they, they had been scheming cause they knew I, they both knew I was gay from, you know, just interacting with me at family events and stuff. They're like, okay, how do we, how do we get people to Peter to join our, our little group and help him realize <laughs> that he needs to come out and stop pretending to be something he isn't, you know, yeah. basically, you know, rescue him, rescue me from fundamentalism. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they did. And how you know, did they, that go? Well, they, yeah. They, they were able to build that relationship yeah, with you. Funnily enough, it happened over, over knitting. Um, I had, I had picked up knitting on my own um, as like a hobby to do on the side. And my uncle and cousin were both happened to also be into knitting completely separate of that. And they both picked, they both kind of reached out to me like, Hey, let's go to this knitting, this knitting yarn store down in uh, Massachusetts and, you know, we'll have lunch. And, you know, so I started spending more time with them going to these things going, my uncles lived about an hour and a half from me um, up here in Vermont. <clears throat> um, and so I'd go, go down and visit, you know, spend time with them. And then, Later, after it was while I was living down in South Carolina, but I was still coming home pretty frequently to visit family. I I spent um, I, I went over. It was a few day trip to their place in Provincetown, Massachusetts. I don't know if you are familiar with that town at all. It's a pretty gay place. Super gay. <laughs> it's super gay. Uh, there's a lot of like. There's more gay people. It's than what they were people. afraid Vermont would turn into. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's what Vermont could have been. Um, uh, but yeah, so it was it was when I I kind of I've been spending time with them and really seeing them as, you know, a couple that loved each other, supported each other and gave each other the space to be who they were mm -hmm. in the same way that my parents had done. You know, my parents modeled that as well for each other. But fundamentalism happened to work for them, you know, but and, and you're taught in fundamentalism that that's how straight couples are. They're going to be healthy. If yeah. they're Following the Lord. Yeah. But definitely not a game couple not a gay couple yeah presented exactly. as functional and healthy and lovely and exactly wonderful. yeah because i've been i've been raised to believe that these are people living for purely for self-pleasure and you know no consideration for anyone else and not like having don't have any morals you know and then seeing my uncle and his husband living fulfilled lives where they did have morals they had you know things that they you know, had structured their lives around and, and really had things that they believed in and that they loved each other and supported each other. Mm. And that that kind of life was possible, you know, was mm. it was pretty eye opening. And it was it was after my first trip to Provincetown where I saw that on a whole like town wide, ba you know, scale where I saw gay couples everywhere living out. You saw a community that felt safe. Yeah, I did. I, I was like, oh, this is this is different.
you know, wow. maybe, maybe, maybe I can stop trying to hold on to this idea, you know, that I had been clinging to for so long, which was that I could somehow fit in to the culture at Bob Jones and fit into this world that I was clearly not fitting into. So with that time that you spent with your uncles, you were already at Bob Jones while that was happening. You were with it. You were already. I was at on Bob staff um, at BJU Press. Yep. Wow. Mm. So you kind of knew before you'd come out, you'd known since you were young that you didn't fit, that you were not straight, but you were trying to like fight against that. Then you choose to go to Bob Jones, which probably shocks a whole bunch of people, right? And that's kind of a theme in your book is like, yeah, there's a lot of queer kids that choose to go to Bob Jones for many different reasons. Many different reasons. And you're still hoping, I guess, that you could fit into being straight or being perceived that way or that it'll yeah. change or something's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's not working, right? Like it's And it's causing you to to live a double life or how how did that affect yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, Jones? it's. I had I had had a girl I had one girlfriend like right at the end of Bob like my time as a student at Bob Jones and um, the it didn't yeah it just didn't work <laughs> um, I I tried really hard and, imagine that uh, yeah. <laughs> You know the the if you're was, good enough Christian and you obey God, it's all gonna just pray hard. And, and you know, I have a lot of mixed feelings around that too. Is just like what I put her through, you know, trying to make this relationship work with desires that weren't there, mm. and and you know, making her probably wonder what was wrong with her, you know, like what's going on here, you know, and finally being able to just say, you know, enough is enough. This is not working for me, and forging yeah. a new path but it wasn't even even after that like breaking up with her wasn't a, a big enough push i don't i i could get i don't know i could look back and give you a thousand reasons why it took me as long as it did but you know i feel like everything happens you know in their own time when it when they're supposed to happen and it, the the moment that i finally did like say the words out loud to another human being it it was it was one of those things where like in my mind you know like the stars are aligning and like this is truth you know, this is this is something that I I have been avoiding for so long, but this is actually true, and I need to honor it, and I need to go forward with this truth in mind, and stop being ashamed of it. Did you resign from being on staff at Bob Jones before you came out, or did that go the other way around? How did that, how um, that happen? When I came out publicly, I had I had quit. I res I had resigned from Bob Jones. I had started. To t- I had told a few. My telling when I told my cousin that was still about a year about a year before I fully almost two years before I left Bob Jones completely and that cut all ties. A lot of stress. It was a lot of stress. Why did you? If you ugh. say to somebody that you're gay and you're working at like if anyone at Bob Jones knows you're you're gone you're fired right yeah, you yeah. lose your job yeah. Yeah, so you and, have that pressure on you for two years basically that yeah. you have to be super careful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was more of a, it was more of a, you know, the beginning of a journey for me. And like, I, I knew that there would come a time when I would need to separate and, and move on. But I had, you know, I'd be, I had kind of built a family there at Bob, at BJU Press where I was working and I wasn't quite ready to let go of that immediately. And I, I liked the job that I had and it was, I was still processing what it meant for me to be a Christian and gay and, and what I actually believed about, you know, my, what my how my faith factored into me working there and what what i really believed you know as there was still a lot for me to process and go through and again you know i i had to move at whatever pace was right for me and i 
it it wasn't easy, but it it was something. It, the, the whole process was. It's it's been and still remains to be very. Um, I don't know fulfilling. It's mm. it's been like every every new level that I unlock, like truth that I unlock about myself and learn about myself. Like oh, I have this whole level of power that I didn't know I had access to. I I can you know shed the shame around this that I've been holding on to for whatever reason, you know, it's mm. been locked away. One of the themes in your, um, in your story, Peter, is that idea of shame and breaking free from shame. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's, that's something that, uh, I mean, even Gail would, would recognize crops up in, in, in my life as well, given, um, the theme, I mean, I, the, the fundamentalist church that I grew up in would have, um, I guess called themselves like a four point Calvinist. They didn't feel comfortable with the limited atonement, yeah. but, um, total depravity was very much a part of how they saw, um, faith and, and, and the gospel. And so I find I found that as I was reading through your story, incredibly relatable, that, that idea of, um, shame breaking free from it. And then as you were mentioning, it's still something that sort of pops up, um, yeah. even, even today. And like, you know, I'm, um, gosh, like, uh, over 10 years removed from, from Bob Jones, almost, almost 15 years, uh, removed from, from my time at Bob Jones. And, um, and still I feel shame popping up in, in various areas. Yep. Um, could you talk a little bit more about that and, and your relationship to, to shame now, and maybe even thoughts about like, uh, if you feel so inclined to share uh some some of how you might um maybe walk alongside somebody who is struggling with uh or fighting shame in their own life mm-hmm. yeah um you know I was, I was i would love to plug renee brown i don't know if you've heard of her and her work around yeah, yeah. um if you haven't check her out she's got a special on netflix super accessible um she's uh you know the Shame is a great, uh, it's a powerful tool for change and for um, behavior control. Um, Mm. And fundamentalism is not, you know, uh, a novice in using shame as that tool of control. And so, you know, queer queer people in general, um, you know, Lance, you can attest to this, you know, we we, we get taught the lesson very young as far as, you know, having that shame put on us and, um, yeah, I, you know, shedding it is, it's a hard, it's a hard process, but it's extremely liberating. <clears throat> it, uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, it's yeah, fine. You take the time you need. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I mean, it, it, it for for me, um, and and I guess uh, the the relationship with shame for me is a little um, a little different, quantifiably so, given the fact yeah. that I didn't have, you know, I I wasn't living uh, a good chunk of my life in 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 that kind of a closet. But um, there is still this sense. I, I don't know. I like any time I uh, I make any kind of mistake. Um, there is this feeling that that is my nature. Um, and that's like, um, that is who I am at my core fundamentally. And Mm -hmm. I spiral into this place of shame. Um, and I, I find, 
Uh, actually, interestingly enough, speaking of Netflix, um, I don't know if you've if you've seen that uh, that cartoon show, um, Big Mouth. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was yeah. like, how is he going to make this connection to Big Mouth of all things? But I think I know where you're going with the hormone monster. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. yeah. And there was the, sh- the, the, the character <laughs> that personifies shame and yes. how how you can. How, yeah. and it was it was such an incredible lesson about yeah. how shame can paralyze you. And yes. and also what I've found is that and, and maybe um, kind of speaking of my own journey is that I'm never really rid of it. Um, I, I might've found a general sense of, um, to borrow Christian parlance, victory. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. I Sorry. I wasn't ready I, for that. Go ahead. If I were, if I would unpack it, I would say you have a self-awareness and you have, yeah. a, a, you have an intellectual yeah. knowledge of what's going on yes. and who you are, but that doesn't always prevent the feelings that will emerge, mm. you know, like Absolutely. in your head, you could know that this is what shame is and this is how it makes you feel. And you can understand that you are fine and that that's shame lies to you or makes you feel something's wrong with you. But it doesn't take away always the strength and power in those moments where you do something you're embarrassed about or that you regret from having the flooding thoughts just rush up to you. Yeah. And, you know, the head stuff is not always accessible in those moments, right? Yeah. Mm. Your body's t- talking a lot and it's hard to hear anything else over that. Because yeah. yeah. those, those shame responses are very like body eocentric as far as like mm. the hormones that get flooded into your body and you know you're going into like fight or flight and you don't yeah. know what to do with it and uh yeah it's like the internalized thing and i'm trying to see your connections with what peter's saying and what nate's saying about the shame and how there is a lot of overlap or crossover of i was trying to figure out uh, listen for some examples of what nate you were talking about with feeling like if you've done something uh, it doesn't have to be super egregious but as long as you've uh sort of connect that with uh what you've been uh trained to feel like is um your your total depravity or the you know the horribleness of the 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 broken man the sinful man um and just feel like i'm never going to (laughs) get your your victory over that but uh, i think like even with peter being a super progressive and and an affirming state of mind right now that it can always creep back up and i uh, i like to think of it um um who was that one person in your life who could wield that sympathy from you to make you sort of sort of um think about going back to that former life who, if they knocked on your door right now or called on you in the most melodramatic soap opera way with the cue, the music and everything, Nate, would you please just come back to the fundamentalist church? I really feel God told me this. And like, for me, I'm doing it like in a mom voice or something. Right, there's, right. Like, there's like a, there's like a, a Ron Hamilton born to die Christmas cantata. That's where I'm drawing it from where, oh, Chip, you just, I have cancer and please come back to church. And so it's like, oh, Peter, if, if you could just try not to be gay and go to counseling for me, you know, like, mm-hmm. Who is that? Like, is there one? Is there one person who touched your life, alive or or not alive still, who could do that to you? And I think that's why it makes sense to me. Of of like, it's never fully going to hundred percent go away. What the fun, fundamentalist part of that shame or whatever you want to name that thing, that if we've grown up with it and internalized it for decades, you can't shut that off. And I don't know if it will ever fully be shut off. Like you said, Gail, they're they're apparatuses or awarenesses or, or things that you can use 
to combat those things or rebut those things in an internal monologue or whatever dialogue. But yeah, the, the shame of like, okay, yeah, Peter, you're a well-adjusted man and you're, no one is going to take your, you know, yeah. livelihood away or your dignity away, but there's yeah. still something there. And yeah, me, absolutely. it's the same thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's in those moments when the shame hits now, you know, I, instead of, uh, you know, in the past where I may have just shut down, retreated, you know, pulled back, don't think about those things. It's, you know, it's not worth the trouble. Now I have, now I take the, to track, okay, this, I'm feeling a weird way about this. Let's investigate it. Let's, let's try to write down, you know, how can, how am I feeling about this? What is, what is, what is it actually that I am feeling in this moment? Maybe let's examine why I might be feeling those things uh, is, you know, being able to take that track and like really investigate it in a, um, objective way versus mm. making it subjective, you know, internalizing it, um, is, is the way that I've been able to move through a lot of that shame and being able to take those things and be like, is this actually bad for me? Or was it, was it just something that I was, you know, raised to internalize that as bad? I think that's hard to, uh, to do, and and I, I admire people who have been able to do that and still hold on to their idea of uh, of God in some way, shape, or form. Yep. Um, I I find uh, I don't know if if this has been your experience, uh, Peter, but um, having to kind of rid myself of um, a lot of the uh, the tenets of my faith have been instrumental in mm-hmm. um, uh, in helping me sort of overcome. Uh, those feelings or, or even, uh, better analyze those feelings for what they are. Um, and, and I think it's a powerful thing when, you know, the, the God who, who supposedly created the entire universe is the one who is, um, dictating how you're supposed to, what you're supposed to believe about yourself. And therefore, if you're not meeting those particular standards, um, it's it it all like it 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 all kind of kind of gets you know uh piled up in in those uh in those thoughts those feelings those emotions and and why i think shame coupled with fear right because this is this is a powerful deity that we're talking about um i don't know i i don't know if um if peter what 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 is your relationship with your faith been um since uh since coming out and 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 kind of working through your identity in this way yeah you know you're not you weren't wrong you know like a lot of it has been just letting go a lot of a lot of that and realizing that <clears throat> my faith maybe wasn't as important to me you know as i had initially thought and that it, a lot of it was the community that I was a part of and believing that I needed to embrace this faith to be part of the community that I was a part of, because what is important to me is community. It's that connection with other human beings. It's, it's celebrating life with people that I choose to have around me. It's, it's, that's where that magic is found. That's where I have those spiritual moments. Now. Um, I, I kind of, I, I investigated where that, those that spiritual connection that I had with my faith was like, and, and I found it in the connection with other people. I found it in, um, for, you know, like, I don't want to get super graphic, but like, I found it in sex. I found it in, mm. in love. I found it in, um, choosing family, you know, over, over living with, you know, your, your family that you were given <laughs> or received or, you know, were born into 
you get as, as a, that's a, a major recurring thing that you'll find with a lot of queer people is chosen family um, mm-hmm. and having to build, you know, a support system of your own because the one, the one that you were born with just isn't up to the task. Yeah. Um, and learning that so much of, you know, what I what I got out of the faith that I was raised in really was just in that sense of being connected with other people. Mm. And having a, a space to call my own and a space that loved me for who I was. Yeah. How powerful. Like, it, it's interesting, too, when you were talking earlier in your story about what kept you, you know, where you were, why you couldn't just come out and why you stayed where you were and what it meant to you. Yeah. The thing that hit me was that sense of community. You, you have lots of people around you who you loved and yeah. cared about. And I think, you know, that that need for connection with other people, it's such a powerful and important key point of how hard this yeah. all is and how painful this all is, is that you to lose the people that you love yeah. who feel like family to you is it can't be underestimated on how mm-hmm. difficult that, that I mean, I didn't. I never, never went through that specific experience from Max. I'm straight, but definitely, you know, leaving my evangelical community behind as my faith shift, as I went through a divorce, all of that was jarring. It was very jarring. It was jarring when like, that's who I identified with. And I, the sad part is I thought they were my chosen family because I was told like, you know, I grew up as a foster kid and like, you're like, well, this is the family that will never leave you because they're your heavenly family. You guys are united by that love of God. And then like, if that comes apart, it's so startling because you were, you thought there was a security there um, that this was deeper than just blood. You know, this was like spiritual connection, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But the other thing in your story that really touched me, um, uh, Peter, was when you were talking about the values that stuck stuck with you, even as you exited a lot of your previous stuff was love. Um, And that just love being a thread of your life and the meaning that you have now. And you're talking about your chosen community and being around people who accept you for who you are. And yeah. I just think that's so powerful and so beautiful. Yeah. And I, I, I enjoyed reading your story. I really encourage. Yeah. You know, I mean, the biggest, you. the biggest obstacle and like challenge in my coming out process was learning how to love myself first. Um, because I had, you know, as, as far as like growing up in fundamentalism, you know, you, you, I, I care about my community and I love my community. So I poured everything into making sure the people around me were happy. And I was putting on this, this front as of someone that fit in to this community. Like, look, I'm one of you. I'm one, I'm part of this group. Uh, I can play the rules. Um, You know, I, I can do, I can do what's necessary to be accepted here. And that's, and that's the danger where shame comes in as a tool, because the reason why shame is so powerful is, is shame is, knowing that if you continue with this behavior, you will not be part of your community. You will not have access to your community. You will not have the support of your community. And that's what shame does is, is it warns you, hey, you better stop this or else you won't have that. Um, and that's why it's so powerful as a tool for, for behavior modification. You know, it's not necessarily a good tool, but it's a powerful one. Yeah. Uh, and being able to to recognize that and say, no, I, I don't need to be ashamed of this. Like I can, I can learn a new way. I can learn, Mm. I can build a, I can find a community that does support me and love me for who I am and find, you know, a different path forward. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. And I hope that gives inspiration and hope to kids that maybe at Bob Jones and gay and listening to this, uh, I don't know, sneakily so they don't get in trouble because <laughs> yeah. they don't know who to talk to about things. But to listen and to hear your story, Peter, that there's hope 
and of where, how your journey is taking you into such a healthy place right now. That yeah. that really fits with who you are. Thank you. Yeah. I know that when you share a story and you're vulnerable, those are the moments that even when you're confident in where you're at, and I know you even wrote when you were writing the book and the chapter that those feelings came back even as you're writing, which was cool, by the way, that you wrote it at Pride. You were saying it Pride. Uh, Pride Month was when you finished your your chapter, but you're sharing with us. And I just, I want to say thank you. I want to say you. thank you for your vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing your story. <laughs> and you. I really believe that that's powerful and that's going to help other people. And, yeah. and I value and appreciate you sharing. Thank you yeah. very much. I, I appreciate uh, what you two are doing with this podcast. I think it's really important work. I'm happy to be able to be part of it and be included. So it's an honor. And uh, cool. thank you for bearing with my brain farts. Like when I, I start to think too much about the fact that I'm on a podcast, my brain just shuts down. And like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> the Chapel Probation Podcast takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities, focusing initially on Azusa Pacific University, where I taught English for 15 years. I'm Scott Okamoto, and I'm writing a book about how I deconstructed from faith completely while at APU. This podcast, though, is my tribute to the students and other faculty who survived evangelical higher education. They faced ridiculous racism, sexism, anti-LGBTQ hatred, and all manner of bigotry. From the heartless evils of the prosperity gospel to the destructive pseudo-theology of purity culture, the stories will break your heart, but they will also inspire. These people faced bigotry and fought back. In a weird, kind of sick way, we went through some shit, but we formed identities and we formed communities through it all. I hope you will join us. We live in an era of unprecedented access to information, news, and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Kathleen Reynolds as we take you into the world of cult recovery after all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences will boggle your mind as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode. Um, okay, Lance, I love how you kick off your um, chapter uh, uh. because it's so... Um, for for the average Christian reading that passage, oh, it brings so much comfort. But um, when you think about... I mean, you, the, even the title of your chapter, Surveillance, Control, and Rumors, and then you think about how a place like Bob Jones University functions. Um, so you kick it off with um, Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Um, and I'll read it in the NRSV because our, our uh, listeners, our uh, listeners aren't all all super familiar with the authorized uh, version. I'll allow it. <laughs> Go ahead. First time yeah. reading Bible on our podcast. Uh, I feel like we have not done this. Yet. This th we need to add a. This is where we should add the content, content warning. warning. At the <laughs> Bible Bible no, verses but, but being you know read. What? See, this is this is a reality, and and I I really mean this sincerely. Like religious trauma is so real that oh, hearing Bible out loud is so triggering oh, that's very i mean true. it can yeah. be so difficult for someone who's gone through religious trauma yeah. to have the bible mm -hmm. read so like yeah. just like you need a warning for suicidal content 
if you're having people who come from religious trauma, yeah, I think we need a warning yeah. for. And it sounds funny, but it's re- yeah. like I just want people who don't realize it. Yeah. No, it's it's that kind of a level of visceral. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah or, I often. Or, yeah. I, I often find myself skipping over uh, Bible passages in like if I read somebody's blog posts and they're, you know, even, even somebody who I'm sympathetic with their story or their their ideas that they're trying to get across. If they quote scripture, I'll skip past it. I know they're going to get into into what what they're talking about in the paragraphs <laughs> following. But I, what so I, I find... guess we're not going to do responsive reading then. With this one. <laughs> Been there, done that. Don't need to go back. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was I had my heart set up. But OK, go ahead. What, what I, I will find, say this, Nate and I go to a liturgical <laughs> church now, main mainline, and they do responsive readings, but it's different. But it's yeah. funny that that's a reality of our yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah, I grew up in a church like that. It, yeah. it was a blessing. Weird blessing. <laughs> it's weird. But go ahead. Um, what, I, what I find very fa- fascinating about the, the passage that you chose here is that it is just that. For somebody who is still steeped in Christianity, um, this this passage brings so much comfort, but for 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 those of us who have uh, either left our evangelical faith or uh, have left Christianity altogether, um, this passage can bring a lot of um, a lot of those emotions that that we were just talking about in in Peter's story. Uh, so. So the passage, one, Psalm 139, uh, 7 through 10 reads, Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. Um, your chapter gives that passage another dimension. that um, I hadn't really made that association. Um, But even remembering my own experience at Bob Jones, that those feelings were very much there. Um, So your chapter, like I mentioned a a minute ago, is is titled Surveillance, Control, and Rumors. And if you couple it with that verse, I think it gives us a sense of what we're what we're walking into with your stories. Do, could you uh, share a little bit and like maybe elaborate on, on what your thoughts were and, uh, and incorporating a passage like that? Right. And, 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 um, that passage is, uh, part of like that whole first part one. Uh, so hmm. all the stories there, uh, I divided the, the 19 stories. So Peter's in, in a section. So I, uh, I trying to figure out a way I got some good suggestions about, how to uh, compile these uh, stories. And so what I did was uh, thematically uh, put the first five stories under this surveillance control and rumors. And so Mm. that's the first part. Then the second part is just two stories, other institutions. And the third part with intersections and and Peter's in the first part with family guilt and shame. And the last is about religious and spiritual uh, people who still identify that way. So Mm. I thought, okay, these five people, uh, I'm going to, there's a lot of connection or a thematic connection with this idea of surveillance and rumors and control, which I think if we're all honest, uh, you know, when Peter's been describing it at the very beginning of this podcast and you, uh, uh, that's one of the hallmark reputational things that we take away from Bob Jones is mm-hmm. the rules and the fear about what happens if you're caught breaking those rules. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people I'm sure from the, uh, have thought this way about the, the surveillance aspect of it uh, with being watched and ha- acting as though you're being watched the whole time. So I thought, okay, uh, why don't we go down that road? And, and um, so a lot of the stories that are in this, this first part have that same kind of factor of people who uh, have friends who are, are the concerned friends. I'm using air quotes there 
to show concern in in a fundamentalist sense, uh, meaning <laughs> high, it, it, in the same way that if anyone's been in any kind of church that gives public prayer requests on a Wednesday night or whatever, it's about it's it's about sh- spreading and sharing gossip or whatever, right? So no, uh, don't say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I but, just had it on my heart that so and so. And I I live in a part of South Carolina I didn't even really know existed until I came over here, and I'm happy to be here. But I lived in the upstate in Greenville, and there's a whole other side of the state I never got to. I didn't go to Myrtle Beach. I was never allowed to leave uh, campus and stuff like that. But uh, one other thing that I love that's very Southern and regional, at least here, is that someone can say anything they want to you uh, and say it's from the heart. Now, I've heard the bless your heart thing and everything, but the from the heart is is a a blessing. (laughs) Like, Gail, I just need to tell you that, you know, when you do that, it's your dress is not matching your socks. I'm telling you that just from the heart, though. from the heart from the heart so so it's under the blood if you do that from the heart but um the only part of south carolina i've ever been to is myrtle beach of course of course and i yeah yeah, i I live about an hour away from myrtle beach so i don't even get to go there often but uh, it yeah i like it i don't have a problem with it but uh where are we going with that we're going with your book though i can i make a quick comment so we you we're going to get to your book um just your i want to later ask you about you know what inspired you and how that came about as a project um but one of so we've already started talking about your book and how the chapters are divided up your Mm -hmm. you're a chapter in your own book you've shared your story as well as the other stories yes and and surveillance and we all know we all of us knew what we were getting into when we're going there um and so we all willingly went there and Mm -hmm. and so i think that's something that I went and I did a summer school uh, stint there. I was, it's the only place I really wanted to go. I was excited to go there. There's quite a few people in this book who willingly wanted to go there and have mixed, it's also a, a mixed kind of um, feelings of how do I talk about this now when mm-hmm. I have all of these great college memories um, that are also entangled uh, with the these other not so great college memories. Uh, and so for me, because uh, my story ended up being on the the receiving the, the the negative end of a surveillance of being turned in and being kicked out, I thought, well, why don't I start with that? Because um, as a dedica- dedicated student, that Psalm 139 is something that I remember us again having to memorize and and being you know graded on that, and so. Um, yeah, it, it's like a, it, it felt good when you were in and all of us. I think the first first month, first semester we were there. I mean, you went to the dark side when you were a junior year, Nate, I think, or you were like had enough or something. And Peter, yeah. you probably I mean, we're, we were all earnest at till till a certain point or whatever that is. Uh, and we were all the sun is shining. God is watching us and we are we're going to have a good time and we are safe in the everlasting arms of God and all that sort of stuff. But um, there's also um, there's also a dark side to that and a sinister mm. side to that, and um, it, it, you know it, it starts happening. It could happen to I'm sure both Peter and Nate could talk about how they'd heard this happening to other people, people disappearing, people leaving under weird, fast, quick circumstances, and not knowing really the hundred percent truth, but knowing hearing the story from other people. And so I thought. Um, that's where I'm. That's where I'm going to go with this story. Is um, 
you know, preface it with this uh, surveillance and the control, which the university wants as well, and how the rumors can um, make people's lives uh, miserable, uh, can can pe- can keep everyone on edge, uh, mm. and keep people sober, sober-minded and vigilant that, uh, it, you know, if the wrong person heard what I just said, uh, <laughs> if the yeah. wrong person said baby i babies or whatever you said uh, <laughs> the, uh then you use that term <laughs> right um then that could go like things could go bad really quickly right, right. lance yeah. when you went into bob jones were you you were aware that you were gay at the time or did you not have language for it or were you denying that you were or how was it i knew i was happy gay isn't happy because i'm happy <laughs> all the time but um uh, yeah, I think what, what Peter's saying, um, a new phrase that I'm loving seeing people talk about on social media has probably been around for longer than what I recognize it as. But like the sexual awakening, I think, is something that um, for me, uh, it, it's in stages, right? There, uh, you don't really, you can't articulate it with the specific words. But for me, um, again, unintentionally, uh, thinking of Peter's chapter with um how uh, the preacher unintentionally told him how to access things he shouldn't. Uh, for me, I was accessing like a, a chick track, uh, uh, Jack chick tracks were. Yeah. Oh, I remember <laughs> we had those at my Pentecostal church. We did. Love like I said, they were oh, a little conservative amazing. for a Pentecostal church. They had like, you know, strict chess codes and they probably aligned a lot more. Actually, oh, yeah. when Nate tells me fundamentalist stories, I usually take that as a reference point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, you we know. We had chick tracks. Chick tracks. <laughs> like, um, I grew up with those. My church had them. Uh, you know, we had them to pass out to trick-or-treaters with the candy and stuff. You right. know, That's amazing. For all occasions. <laughs> there's really something for anyone. We, um, we had one of the things of homosexuality that I was exp- expressly fond of. Oh, of course there was one. <laughs> I didn't come across that one, but of course there was. Well, the, <laughs> one of the first ones, which are a collector's item now, and I still have the original from the 80s, uh, is called Wounded Children. And obviously they conflate, um, you know, the, the gays and, and the pedos and stuff like that. But mm, sure. uh, the, the sexual awakening is is looking at, uh, you know, Jack Chick is drawing these uh, this bearded, handsome guy. Uh, well, this guy is going to the gay bars and he's he's drawing gay bar scenes and they're dancing and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, uh, OK, I'm looking at this this panel of this comic a little bit too long. And mm-hmm. uh, and so there there are moments of that, like, the, wow, this is, that guy's really hot. Um, and he's bearded. <laughs> he's kind of wearing leather. And, and the thing is, it's like this twink, uh, before I knew what that word was, and they didn't call him a twink, but, you know, he goes and he goes into this foray into the gay underworld and uh, it goes downhill from there, right? Uh, but I'm looking at it from a different way. So that's the beginning of that. But, um, uh-huh. I, 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 you know, the physicality, I think, probably probably started in high school um, with um, with people who could never really be traced back to me <laughs> because of for obvious reasons uh, I went to a public school at that point uh, but so I had some had some experience but uh, so yeah I let's say that I would I knew that that were I didn't identify as being gay though no way, okay. not not in college. I guess that's a short way of saying. Sorry, I got to get better at this. Uh, the soundbite. No, I did not identify as gay, but I had had some experience. But I did not. I was in denial. The, I had a psychic break. You know, like there is. It's a persona, divided persona, a double life kind of a thing. Um, and and a lot of people who contribute to the book say the similar kind of thing. If I'm going to this place. Um, because it's going to make me a better Christian and it's going to get rid of the gay. 
mm-hmm. or, or get rid of that inkling, mm-hmm. get rid of the whatever. Um, so that was uh, so for a lot of my experiences there, I I I, I was earnest and I'm going to go to everything. I'm pretty much everything. I'm going to have the school spirit. And that was not fake. Um, it, but I was also once I had more freedom and could drive off campus with my own car, had those freedoms as an upperclassman, then you start to explore a little bit more. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it, it, it becomes this um, increasing noise that, um, it, uh, you know, Peter and, and Nate could probably relate to this of, of uh, just, you, you hear all these sermon illustrations and you never want to be or uh, to personify or become that sermon illustration. Um, that's, I guess that's kind of like an ultimate shame, um, mm. where you you, I'm not the prodigal son, however you pronounce the word prodigal, prodigal, however you say it, but I am not that prodigal son. And I'm very adamant about that. Um, and, uh, we've heard, I know hundreds, uh, hundreds of sermons and, um, I didn't want to end up that as that kind of a, a thing that your preacher would talk about when you were there or not there. And so, um, but it, it happened to me uh, in, in my chapter of well, I was able to successfully finish and graduate, and then uh, st- stuck around for graduate uh, school, and um, and then got in trouble for going to a nearby uh, to Furman University and looking at gay stuff on their computer. And then uh, you know a fundamentalist would say, well, God wanted to get a hold of you because He placed a Bob Jones student or former student and they in the carol right, right next to you yeah, right next to you with this girlfriend or something and then it got it to this thing uh you know we're living in now like okay he's like hi can i talk to you and then uh we went outside and i was like what and and he you know it was pretty much you could you know what where they're going yeah. with that yeah so um, and then eventually so, yeah. they asked for your name and id right <laughs> Yes, which is which is a, a beloved phrase that uh, uh, we love to just sort of joke around, and and it is something that you know. That's... Did you try and disguise yourself as a non Bob Jones student uh, off campus? You know, did you like change that's outfits? What I did. Try and blend into the background so that you could get away with more things. Or... Uh, now look, I didn't have a room to talk about lots of. Uh, uh, the other adventures that I had, had to try to disguise myself. Uh, but in this particular moment, I, I thought driving out of the, you know, Furman's outside of the city. Uh, I thought driving to another campus would be a little bit enough, but looking back, uh, it was not as discreet as it could have been. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but um, no. And so it, uh, it it's, it's one of those moments that you and Gail, you probably have heard these in, in your church growing up too, is, where the the altar call and the piano starts to play and your emotions start to become manipulated and, and caressed and just softly and tenderly um, where you're like, okay, I got got, this is the moment. Um, and you're like, was that terrifying for you? Cause you uh, didn't pick your moment. Like you did no. not have a say, like <laughs> Peter, you had a chance, I like, guess little by little to process mm-hmm. and figure out who to come out to and to prepare for when you wanted to get to that decision. Yeah. Okay. I'm out of Bob Jones now and I'm ready. I'm at this point in my life and now I'm ready to come out. And for you, Lance, that was sort of taken, ripped right out of your hand in a sort of traumatic way. Yeah. Now, and, um, I, I, I still think that's like one of the lowest points of my life so far. Uh, but the thing is, it wasn't, uh, as far as I know, they, uh, as a graduate student, they didn't get my parents involved. 
now there are contributors to the story whose parents were notified and they were outed to their parents, uh, not uh, their undergraduates who had no say in that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was not. And so I, uh, I was using this moment to say like, okay, God's trying to get a hold of me. Uh, but I (laughs) don't laugh, Peter, but I was also like, okay, on this 13 hour drive home, what am I going to say? Now I've skipped over quite a bit. My sister was a freshman at the time. And so I had to tell her, but I didn't even tell her the reason. So I didn't tell anyone the reason I didn't tell anyone Mm -hmm. the real reason. Um, and so there is that there is, you know, you become numb and hollowed out and there's lots of ways to describe this, uh, the trauma that happens to you when you become, uh, one of the other, one Mm -hmm. of, one of the people who are uh, on the other side or out cast out Mm -hmm. or however you want to talk about it. You Um, flew Delta home. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah the fly delta home i don't know peter if you remember that but the to the tune of love lifted me was was something that i had heard you know because getting shipped is a fact of life and and uh i think in the in the first is this the the expression for leaving bob jones i joined joined a new society fly delta home i think was the lyric Um, I should have sent you, but I already, I'd already sent y'all too much literature, the first chapter and everything, but there is a glossary I could have sent you if you had time, but, um, you might uh, have sent that, did sent, I? sent that along, I, 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 it might be in my emails. Of course, I you know, know. anybody who's listening, you're, you're going to get it in the book. So, uh, but oh my gosh, it's. It, there, that brought me back. <laughs> yeah, really getting shit. Back. But, you know, like the in the opening chapter, when I tried to write about the background of the school and stuff, like I learned through, you know, reading the historical stuff that the, the getting getting expelled was a part of the first class, uh, you know, the first years of its founding. So it was hmm. very strict that um, fascinating, but I guess it fits the profile, as you yeah. would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we all go there knowing that it's always a potential uh, thing that can happen to any of us. Mm-hmm. Um, if they kicked so out some good cult control is you just make an example of a bunch of people on the regular and make yeah. everyone else live in fear that yeah that and, and honestly and you you mentioned it in your chapter lance but this was something i remember very vividly was uh the 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 annual or even semester purge um where towards the end of the semester there were a handful of people that you likely tangentially knew um and then you know the the later i got in my into my career at bob jones people that i knew personally um, which is like you were saying, would just vanish, and there was no explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember uh, one of the guys on my hall one year um, who I was kind of friends with, not really, um, but um, a um, an RA was following him around campus all day, and I'm like, oh, he's gone. I'm not going to see him by the end of the day. And there's no way for me to get the story because he's being tailed the right. entire day, shadowed. Um, yeah. So that that fear and and I think over time like when I had my my first like um big chunk of demerits where I had that that threat of being shipped um and I I I think I I I got off easy where I got like, you know, 75 demerits in one shot. You were social, uh, right? Weren't you I, social? Well, I already had um, over 20 something, over 25 demerits at that point. <gasps> so I was campus. Oh, I went, yeah. Bless. I had like 35 demerits or something. I hit, I got 75 in one shot. So I was campus. But, and this is the first time I'm putting it in like a recorded medium. Um, I... I was, um, quote unquote dating. I was very close, 
I was very close friends with a girl who was a townie. So um, because of the double standard between men and women. Yes. Um, and how how uh, girls who lived in town didn't need a chaperone to date a campus um, boy. I mean, she would pick me up from <laughs> and and she didn't have to check in and out. It, her car was, uh, you know, whatever. And Freedom. she always she always had like a pair of my ripped jeans and and like an Abercrombie <laughs> shirt oh. in her car. Where is this going? OK, for yeah. me. All right. Go ahead. Uh, like, yeah. So I could change. <laughs> you heard a jailbreak, you yeah. Know? Yeah. So I could change into uh, into non checkable as, as the phrase goes, yeah. non checkable yeah. attire. Worldly. So that when I left campus. I looked like a uh, worldly, sinful, heathen, not of Bob Jones. Um, and I, I, that, that was definitely my, my junior or senior year where I was mentally checked out of that place already. But I do remember um, the first time it happened, I, I thought through what I would tell people, what I would tell my pastor when I got home, what I would tell my parents. Although I, I, I think uh, with my parents, I probably would have had to be a little bit closer to honest with whatever. I didn't even actually know what I was being called into the dean's office for. So I was trying to come up with stories prior to even finding out what I was in trouble for. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Um, so and this wasn't the Michael W. Smith. One. No, no, no. This was something else. Um, this was actually somebody had snooped on my MySpace page um, and found that I had listed, I think, The Matrix as one of my favorite movies. And the, the crazy thing is, <laughs> me and you Nate bonded over this. Because <laughs> my ex threw out my copy of The Matrix because he was very fundamentalist in thought and didn't like that Trinity was dressed with skin tight clothing. So he chucked out my copy of The yeah, Matrix. And when oh. Nate and I met, he was like, you know what? I have a Matrix story too. And I have another copy of The Matrix and I'm giving it to you. It's very sweet. <laughs> it's one of our, fa both of our favorite movies, actually. Yeah, it's, so. well, it's, it's up there. It's definitely it's in my top good, 10. It's a good movie. Um, that was my first R rated movie that I ever watched. Was it? Yeah. I That's watched awesome. that actually with uh, GAs off campus while I was still down there. <gasps> it was uh, home video, but I was a GA Generally. at the time, so okay, okay. I think it might be better. Okay, but obviously yeah, yeah. the 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 whole theme of that is you know we lived it in a sense. Yeah. Oh, totally. Definitely fine. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. And so I think um, uh, kind of what's relatable is that you know having to come up with something. Well, what are you going to tell your people when you get home because you're not at Bob Jones anymore. Um, so I, yeah, I, if you got kicked I, out, but you were just, I, but you got social, did they, did you, a letter well, go home or something? I didn't, um, I didn't actually, I don't even, hang on, let you me, didn't let have me to, try you didn't to, have to retrace tell the story. I didn't, uh, but I, I remember working through a story because <laughs> when, when I got called to the Dean's office, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know that I would, I would be slapped with 75 demerits. I thought I might be expelled because I had up until that point, I kept my nose clean. So an, an email from the Dean's office telling me to report. You didn't even know what you were being called in for. I didn't know what I was being called in for. That I didn't know what was about to happen. Word. I just assumed, I assumed that I was going to get kicked out because I didn't know what the process was like. I, you know, nobody had ever expressed, like, like explained that to me or anything. But so. not an orientation not, uh, <laughs> no. but, but you, you had to worm your way out of explaining why the matrix was on your myspace page basically and come yeah up i came up with I, well I, the explanations that i gave was like you know that was that was pre-bob jones i did that in high school and we you know we it's, don't have access to our myspace page on campus true. with bob jones that's true um so i can't go in there and change it so you know I repented. I had to to attend. Uh, I had to meet with my dorm counselor for you know a semester or a few months or whatever that 
that was, um, to talk about. I don't remember what, but you know, and and like I think Lance, <laughs> I don't remember if you mentioned it or if it was Peter who mentioned it in in, in one of your chapters. Uh, that that these these dorm counselors are not licensed, and they're not. No. They're also not psychology students. No, they're not. They're not stud. They're studying um, ministry. <laughs> they're, they're, they're studying yeah, they're in the seminary. to preach. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so these people aren't qualified to be counseling anyone. Yeah, I think that was yeah. a general like procedure for anyone who got campused was mandatory counseling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I remember I had a few friends who who had to do the same thing. That makes sense. But you did. I can't think of anything more unhealthy than to be counseled by people who are gonna just try and further indoctrinate you and, <laughs> and do the opposite of whatever you need at that moment. Right. And maybe two years older than you anyway. And yeah, uh, you know, there's. The, the ethos and authority there is like, why should I listen to you? Well, you right. have my future in your hands, so you have to play ball. But yeah. there is that walk over to the the administrative the admin building, which uh, mm. side note is no longer there; it's been torn down. Oh, um, has it? Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. There's a little bit of alleged asbestos or something, but mm. um, that was that was the place where you went to get called in, and and there is that flutter moment of. When you've been mm -hmm. summoned with the call mm -hmm. slip, uh, you, you, and I knew, I knew, uh, I got summoned the next morning, uh, mm. so I knew what my deal was. But sometimes you go over there and you, it's just your heart. Because yeah. wait, Peter, do you, were you ever summoned? Or I, so there was a couple. I have a couple stories I can tell. There was, <laughs> there was, well, one, one was the one time I was summoned to the dean's office uh, was not for any gay stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was for, it was actually, I knew what it was for the minute it, it happened because of, of the people that were called there with me. I was on a uh, stage crew. Mm. I was on stage crew at Rota Hafer Auditorium. And one night after like a technical, like uh, before the production, I don't know where the idea came from or like how, what happened. But all I do know is that we decided as the stage crew <laughs> <laughs> leaving Rodehaver at like one in the morning that it would be a good idea to pick this car up and put it halfway <gasps> onto the sidewalk as like a group oh, activity. That's fun. That's a college Wait. thing to do. Yeah. yeah. That was you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turned, it turned Mystery out solved in Nate's life. Something he hasn't been able to <laughs> go to bed. Well, like it, he's been thinking about it every night before he goes to sleep. No. Like, what? It, well, it this? turned out to be like someone related to the president, uh, like his sister-in-law or something. Oh, snap. And oh. so the next, yeah, the next, the next day we all get called up there. I'm like, oh, well, I found out, obviously somebody snitched. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I guess, I guess it was a little, like it became a thing because she literally couldn't get her car started because it had locked <laughs> it up because we oh. twisted the wheels <laughs> and she couldn't get her key like in there. I was like, oh my goodness, this is the but only, they, they, what did they, you probably got what, 50 to 25? Like, I got did, 25 for that one. Yeah. That, someone else, took, someone prank. else took like, took yeah. the brunt of the demerits. I think some, I oh. think, I think the ringleader oh. ended up getting like 75 oh. Oh, and then okay. everybody else got 25 for, you know, whatever. Yeah. But okay. then the okay. most demerits I got at one time was 50. And that one I got called to the dorm supervisor's office, which is not, it's it's like a step up from the RA. The dorm supervisor is usually a grad mm -hmm. student and they're given like domain over one of the whole dormitories. And I, I was in my room, it was like right before lights out. And he comes up to our room and like asks me, he asked, he asked me to come down to his office 
Oof. It was like right before lights out. So I'm like, this that's is, not good. I was like, this no. is not good at all. Nothing I, I ever like, good. And I had no idea. That. I was like, I have no idea what this is about. I don't, <laughs> I'm like, Ugh. Uh, but it turned out. So I had, he, he was coming to me with this information saying that it had found that I had been on a porn website <gasps> and had been on there for like a, a decent amount of time. Apparently. An hour. Yeah. Yeah. This sounds, this sounds so familiar, but keep going. Yeah. Well, what, what had happened was it's incredibly relatable. This is, this is, it's going to take a, a weird turn. So what had happened was I was searching the internet for an N64. Um, what's it called? Like a, that software like an emulator, an emulator. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was looking for an N64 emulator <laughs> and I click on this link. It's like, Oh, I can finally play like, you know, Mario Kart on my computer or whatever. And the next thing I know is I just see like naked bodies all across <laughs> my screen and I'm like, Oh crap. You know, and I, I don't even think to look at the URL or anything. I just exit out of the window as fast as I could. Your then, personal computer, like in your dorm. Yeah. In my dorm room. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, they got so I'm on, you. So I'm on, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> they got well, you, girl. So, yep. so what I did was I was like, well, I don't know what the URL was, so I can't report the website. Like, because uh, the, the rule was mm-hmm. if, if you come across an objectionable site, quote unquote, is what they call yeah, it. Like, love that. You're, the yeah. rule is you're supposed to report the URL to, to the IT department so that they can block it and know that you didn't do it intentionally. I didn't know the URL, so I went to my RA and asked them like, Hey, I came across this site. You know, I don't know what to do. I didn't, I didn't look at the URL. I didn't copy it down. I, I panicked and just closed out the window. He's like, I was like, what do I do? And he's like, um, I guess you're fine. <laughs> Browser history. Yeah. 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 I, no, so then, so yeah, it wasn't, it was like the next, the next night is when the supervisor comes up and brings me down there. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I, I was on that site for less than like five seconds. And I, I was just trying, like the time it took me to scramble to close out the window. He's like, well, uh, it says you were on there for 30 seconds and you know, 30.5 seconds. So, uh, Oh, Jeez. And this, he's like, and this happens to be the worst porn site that's ever gotten through our uh, firewall. You, know? <laughs> you can imagine the guy who's in charge of checking this stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me see. Let's rank them. Where yeah. do we rank up this like, one in the list I was like, oh, yeah, of but... delicious things we've stared at? And how many seconds that they've been staring at it? Was that the Mayberry software that they were trying to like, uh, there's something that was supposed to block all that stuff. I forget what it's called. but Yeah, they Daddy. had, yeah. I, it was, it was, it was ridiculous because it was a very exact amount of time that was way long, <laughs> way longer than I was actually on it. I'm like, I don't know what you're getting in this information. But suffice it to say, I guess the rule was if you get caught looking at porn, it's an automatic 100 demerits. And so for my situation, he decided to drop it to 50, which is um, failure to follow instructions, which is 50% uh, mm-hmm. demerits oh. of whatever the offense was. Yeah. That's a good blanket one. If you don't like yeah. someone, mm-hmm. just failure to follow authority. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a good one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah. that one got me social because I already had over twenty five. Mm-hmm. But that was that was my freshman year. So that was I got scared because oh. that that was going to knock me out of being able to participate in the musical mission team the following summer. Oh, right. And that was that's very much a part of your story as well. Was traveling with the musical mission team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my, I had, I had a similar, uh, incident and it was the same, it ended up being the same kind of situation where they, they knocked it down to 50 demerits for failure to follow in instructions or, or whatever. Um, but I was, I was just searching for, uh, I had gone down this rabbit trail. I was working on a paper and it ended up like taking me down some rabbit trail of, 
um, you know, some niche internet thing. And I, I stumbled on this website that was kind of along the same lines, like video game emulation. Um, but instead of pop-ups, it was, um, down below the scrollable, uh, section of the site. Apparently there was some pictures that were showing up under like little, you know, uh, uh, gifs or gifs that were like, you know, animated girls dancing. And <laughs> I had, I, the crazy thing was they didn't show up ab above the fold as it were. So mm -hmm. I'm reading the top part of the site. I don't, I never scroll down any further. So I'm on the site for a good, like 10, 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> oh boy. Done with my research. Close oh, it down. Uh-huh. <laughs> The this the dorm supervisor crazy. has a printout of the website. <laughs> so, fifteen pages into this printout are the pictures in question. So I had to explain. I like I. There's no possible way I would have seen this. You do notice how all of the information that's pertinent to what I was working on is up here on page one or page two, mm. but like you know, you have to go all the way down to like page fifteen to find. The, the the images that were flagged um so wow. he you know knocked me with like 50 demerits which i think is also ridiculous like 50 demerits for why did what for what yeah yeah exactly it's like you're just living in a constant culture <laughs> where you're gonna get in trouble even when you're not doing anything yeah, yeah. like you're just constantly worried that you're gonna get yeah yeah i got yeah. i got nailed by our ra for rough housing one time because i jumped oh. off of the second level like they had the bunk beds in the dorms and i we literally all we did is hop down from the the second bunk onto the floor and he happened to be in the room below us and came storming up and was like oh. you're roughhousing in here and like didn't even ask any questions and was just like handed out the demerits and left <laughs> it was like wow. yeah great now i have to go to the discipline oh, committee and explain this yeah <laughs> Just a chunk out of my. Although you know, I I think I might have been mentioning this to Lance a, a while back, but um, the, I the part of the discipline committee for me it, it turned into uh, something fun because I would coordinate with my other friends who were also called into the discipline committee that week, and we say, "Hey, do you want to stand in line together?" <laughs> So we'd get like five or six of us. We're all standing in line. I wonder what we could be in trouble for this time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing was fascinating that you had to look for your name on the list. Yeah. And then you had to, mm -hmm. uh, you're required to window out, uh, block out a window an hour or so out of your schedule every semester yeah. for the DC line. And to me, it looked like it's kind of a public humiliation line because mm -hmm. it's in the main at a, a school class building with all the classes and the line would go in front of the front doors and so you'd always have to like you know uh excuse or like you know there was always a mad dash when people were going through the doors and stuff but yeah. you then would have to mm -hmm. state your name and and then figure out what your crime was or that you were reported for um <laughs> and then and then try to make your case i yeah. guess and then they would judge if it could be um forgiven erased or applied denied whatever so yeah. talk about a culture of shame yeah. like oh, yeah. <laughs> all of what you know but like yeah. how deep this yeah. goes yeah. right like i mean it's one thing for your pastor to just get up and say i'm gonna teach you about total depravity and how we're all disgustingly wicked and god is all ashamed of us and we need <laughs> jesus to take on god's wrath so he could take accept us and love us if it wasn't for jesus he just nuke us all you know it's one thing to like be told that it's an Another for to be in a system that is displaying to you that constant reminder that you are bad, 
You're going to get in trouble for mm -hmm. something. You're going to be publicly humiliated. You need yeah. to be worried constantly about being caught doing the wrong thing and being humiliated for it. Like, yeah. it's not just a teaching. It's a practice that's kind of in your face, yep. in your everyday living that you have to keep in your head mm -hmm. at all times. Or you get kicked out of school. You have to deal with your parents. You have to deal with right. what does expulsion mean? You got to losing a job if you're working there. Like, it's... Yeah, it, it's a defense mechanism. And I think that's like why that shame, if we want to go with that theme of why I couldn't tell anyone the truth about it. I couldn't tell I couldn't tell anyone. And I don't know what any conversations or letters that the administration might have sent home to my family. They didn't say anything about it. But when I came, went home, I had to make a decision. And I don't really go into this part in the chapter because there's just too much. But, uh, you know, I didn't tell them the real truth until years later. Because I couldn't live with that. And I thought, all right, I'm going to make a personal promise to God. I'm going to start over. I'm going to be for real and I'm going to be good. I got, and, and first of all, I had to see, can I, do you have a place for me at home? Um, hmm. and, you know, because uh, they didn't technically have to take me back. I mean, I'm an, an adult. I'm over 21 or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I, I integrated myself back home. And that was a shameful process, too, of like, what are you doing back in October mm -hmm. in the middle of the semester? Yeah. Why? Da, 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 da. And, you know, I, I, I just would tell, I told my immediate family, I sent a shameful email <laughs> and it's like, ha ha, I'm, ho I'm home again. Uh, and they're all like in different parts, you know, they weren't living at home anyway at that point, but it, it's that shame of like, I can't bring myself to it. There are those, it's like a Sunday school lesson moment of like, Lance should tell the truth. He's got 12 hours to think about what he's done and he's going to make a decision when he gets home, maybe not that night, but the next day. What do you think he should do? And and I you go over the scenarios. What am I going to tell? Well, I got to live at home. I don't I I I have no I have nowhere to go. I have nowhere yeah. to go. Nowhere to go. What am I going to do? Taking you from moving back home in that position where you still haven't told them the truth to where you are today. Yeah. If you were to summarize. Yeah. That so yeah. Um, I did. I did finally come out with the help of uh, a community, like what Peter was talking about, uh, an online community, a social media community, and and then came out, and that that's a whole another story too. It was yeah. very awkward, uh, but you know uh, that's been almost ten years now, and I've. Uh, we're just kind of awkwardly uh, copacetic or uh, uh, we just don't ask invading questions and stuff. And mm. a lot of people who contribute to the book talk about that. Like hmm, one person calls it like a toleration game. Uh, doesn't That's not really trying to sound cruel, but it's just like, all right, you know, Peter I, with his family, I'm sure it's a similar kind of setup of love seeing you, but don't agree with stuff. And we're just not going to really talk about it because we know the direction that it's going to go. Yeah, probably. Uh, mm. uh, so, uh, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm outside of the gates and, uh, I'm happy where I am. And, um, a lot of people have a similar kind of trajectory that, uh, contribute to the book or, and tons of people that Peter and I know who, uh, we did, there just wasn't enough uh, space to put everyone's story in here, but yeah. a lot of people that I know of, um, who uh, have to deal with that shame and figure out when can they come out. And so for Peter, when you're coming out uh, a little bit later, it's funny. It's always like other people uh, know it or are waiting for you to articulate that. And mm -hmm. uh, sometimes your family doesn't want to hear that. They, mm -hmm. they want to stay in denial about it because there's always hope if you don't really c uh, commit to that. But um you know, that I think I end my chapter trying to be optimistic about like, okay, well, if, if I was raised to believe in eternal security of the believer, if I was raised to believe, um, and I've 
I was a, a kid who knew what he was doing at five. Mm. <laughs> I wasn't saved at like two years old or something. Uh, <laughs> right. I know five is kind of on the younger end of things, but um, I, I believed in what I was doing. Uh, then, then I'm, then that's going to stick with me. And, um, and I'm just going to use that as my stamp of approval that I, if I feel I need. Mm. Um, so, um, so yeah. So- so then I guess uh, my follow up then, it, it seems that um, that you still have some uh, uh, perhaps a positive relationship with your faith uh, in, in some way, shape or form, or, or am I misreading that? Uh, it's, it's kind of an evasively positive thing because, okay. <laughs> uh, because uh, I, I no longer regularly attend church. Sorry mm-hmm. if there's anyone uh, who's listening to who knows me and is really disappointed in that. Uh, but I know, I know. Uh, I go on occasion when I'm visiting family, and that's a kind of a, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, the more I, uh, maybe I'll have time to be able to reflect on that mm-hmm. uh, spiritually. I mean, the the Christian agnostic term has been something I've been seeing thrown around that kind of uh, interests me a little bit. But um, I know I, I I was faithfully attending church here until I. Um, uh, in a weird, dramatic way, came out to the pastor and stuff, and and stopped going regularly to a fundamentalist church, uh, and just haven't picked up on a regular basis for any kind mm-hmm. of church. So, um, yeah, it, it kind of can do weird things to your head about, well, what uh, it, does what I believe still apply to me, um, mm. and where do I want to go with that? And um, you know, there are people who've been in the same situation who've written about it. Uh, a, there's a really good memoir out there. And at the very end of his afterward, he said, you know, I was, I, I tried after a coming out, like I tried to go to the different denominations. And then finally I just realized that my parents were right. They said that um, it's either all or nothing. And I really couldn't take all, all to all. So, okay, it's pretty much nothing. Um, and that's where I am right now. And mm. it works for me. So, yeah. I, I think for me, that's that's the takeaway that that I that I have, even for for myself or for for others who might not have had exactly the same experience. But um, I I think we all need to be a little bit more comfortable with um, accepting uh, that what works for me works for me, um, and that I, as an individual, as a person, um, am more in tune with my spirituality than any ancient. Uh, text than any um, group or denomination or or church or pastor could ever possibly be because this is a very deep and intimate part of myself. Um, so, like, I mean, I mean, I guess for for me to kind of like show my cards a little bit, I, I would probably <laughs> lean a little bit more on the um, agnostically atheist side of things. Um, though I do have my theist days from time to time, uh, when I want to, uh, to believe that there is something spiritually significant to, to how the the world functions. Um, and I do practice still. I mean, uh, Gail mentioned it. We are a part of a, um, of a church here, um, in New Jersey that, uh, that we, we love that, that is, um, very, uh, socially conscious and, and justice minded, but you know there are those days like like we were talking about earlier where mm-hmm. hearing those passages or even like reciting some of those phrases just does not hit and it doesn't feel authentically me um and so i i guess like i'm i'm kind of in this place of like you know what <laughs> i just this is this is who i am take it or leave it you know 
I've been there. I've heard the stories. Um, I've read the. I've heard the different versions. We've all been through countless uh, sermons and church uh, services, uh, and it, that's not where it's not hitting us the same yeah. way. But right. you know, I, I felt I, it was kind of important to me to be able to provide por- voices in the book. Who? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, religious, and, and spiritual, you, and good for y'all. Yeah. And you know what? I think I think the 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 other takeaway is again, like like I was saying, is it it is a part of who you are. And if that is something that's deeply important to you, um, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to convince anybody to give up their, their beliefs, but I, I think one thing that Gail and I often talk about, um, both in this podcast and offline is, um, what we would like to see is people become more honest about their beliefs and to, mm. to, to analyze what they're believing and whether it's worth holding on to. Um, and if, you, if the conclusion you come to is that it is worth holding on to, then I think you're better for it and, and you'll be a better adherent to whatever faith practice you, uh, you would, you believe if, if you do take the time to, to work through it that way. Um, Lance, I, w- I want to talk a little bit more. I mean, we've, we've talked around your book and we've talked about uh, some of the stuff in your book, but I want to talk about your book how about did this come to be <laughs> yeah and, and how also... did you just go like i'm gonna write a book about bo- queer students who went to bob jones how did that come about <laughs> um and you know this book is it yeah oh, i could just say i just snapped my fingers like oh i you know i just thought about it last month and then um it just kind of <laughs> happened and peter's laughing because he's lived this for the past years um but that's kind of par for the course when you're doing an edited collection um and i talk about that a little bit in the conclusion which i didn't throw your way because i think i'd thrown enough uh sample <laughs> chapters your way but um uh, i i think i there's um it started uh with this uh the social, uh, the Facebook group that uh, of all these uh, former gay uh, pe- people's student from Bob Jones who just really met I- each other at the right time and the right place for me. Uh, it was just like finding a new family, finding a chosen family, finding finding a light or a beacon or something. Uh, Does this group still exist as a, as a resource for our students or is this something that, that – um... It's still there. It's it's evolved in in okay. different uh, ways. Uh, the original thing is still there, but uh, it's it's evolved into other manifestations. Uh, and trying to be helpful too uh, when the pandemic lifts up. But it uh, find just finding one person, and I I don't know how to non cliche saying the you're not alone thing or like it helps to, to see representation matters or whatever. But I mean. I don't know, you know, Peter, if I don't know mm-hmm. if this feeling was the same for you of just like finding one gay, one Bob Jones ex student or former student or whatever, who you found out was gay and not ashamed, and not ashamed of it or like mm-hmm. finally owning up to it. Like, what did that do? For, like, just, oh, it was, it was <laughs> transformational. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's the best word. That's the best word. It it's like, what? What and again because of the surveillance culture and stuff like that on campus, which it breeds you got you can't got to keep to yourself, which is also why Peter telling people that he's gay while he's still on, under contract and other students or, mm. who contribute to the book were like badass coming mm. yeah I'd say I'd be like what do you I don't know you like what that's crazy that is mm. that is not the right way to, of going about it as a as a boomer from the nineties I would never <laughs> trust anyone David Dechenko talks about that in his mm. chapter to um and oh it's funny you mentioned david dachenko because i I, like i remember being a student around the time that he 
that he left, and it was a it was this a bit a of teacher? A, a campus uh, scandal. Yeah. Was it? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not like, oh, goody, tell me, but I kind of want to know. Like, what I did guess you... from the perspective of, uh, 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 especially, I think it happened when I was either a freshman or a sophomore, so it was early in my in in my years at Bob Jones, and I I, I just I remember because I was in. Uh, you know, music wasn't wasn't my major or minor, but I was uh, extracurricular extracurricularly <laughs> involved in music in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, David Dachenko was on the the music faculty mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And when he left, it kind of made waves. And I I had assumed that he was forced out, but based on what you had written, he he made the decision to leave, which is probably why that the rumors swirled the way they did. Um, and and I, I remember seeing him at, at a Barnes and Noble Mm -hmm. and, and having that thought of like, Oh, (laughs) there's an outside. (laughs) (laughs) Like what? Like, uh, you probably didn't know him very well, but you're like, okay, if I knew him better, I might even come up and ask him like, what's the deal? What happened? (laughs) I, I, like I knew who he was. I don't think he had any clue who I was. I was probably a freshman or a sophomore at that time. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. It's it, and, and you know Peter and and um, some others, uh, more young, the younger students talk about coming out or talking about their sexuality or their identities to these faculty members in the 2013s or whatever. And I'm just mm-hmm. thinking, are you are you mm. what are you thinking? Why would you tell the Why would you tell anyone who you really are the enemy? Like anyone who has the power to do in your life and to turn you in, get the dirt on you. But David was really cool about it because he was, uh, he knew the game. He grew up in this system uh, and, and he'd been at Bob Jones for a while then. And he ended on his own terms and mm-hmm. he like said, I'm going to finish at the school year. I already know what I'm going to do. And in his chapter, he writes about it very succinctly of like, I had this letter for these people and I had my email ready to send out to people so I could tell them on my own terms and sure. say it from, say it from my own mouth. Um, and then I'm going to tell my church, I'm going to tell my family and boop, beep, boop, and I'm out. So mm. some people can do that and good on him for being able to do that. Um, but yeah, this, this whole idea of, of, of leaving, um, on your own terms or not can, can really, mm-hmm. uh, uh, mm. it, it can, it can change your story a little bit, I guess, but, mm. And um, so your yeah. book is a collection of yeah, 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 yeah. stories, uh, and it's yes. a chance for people to know that they are not the only people who have <laughs> yeah. taken this path through Bob Jones, right? Yes, yeah, it's the epiphany, it's the transformational moment of like, okay, um, if the culture that's fostered there, and David, you know, and I were there at the same time as students, and he says a lot of things that are overlapped with mine too, of, that I, I was like, yeah, I'm right, I'm, I'm right with you there, I don't trust anyone, I'm not going to tell anyone, uh, but... Uh, once you find someone else, this this whole uh, campus fosters this culture of don't tell anyone about yourselves, the true mm-hmm. self. Mm. Once you find even one or two people where three or 17 are gathered in my name, all that sort of <laughs> stuff, it, it really does take over. You're like, what? what? Okay, I'm not – I'm not an aberration. I'm not a perversion. I'm not an abomination. Mm-hmm. Y'all went through the same system and it didn't work. Da, 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 da. So this book was this thing of like, okay, we're all starting to like, we got to do something with this growing nucleus. We got to do something. And so it's turned into like uh, marching in the uh, pride parade in New York City in 2012. And then um, Rich Merritt, who was one of the uh, people 
who actually wrote his own memoir uh, about the secrets of a gay marine porn star. Um, and that's that's a fun book. And so he and I were going to uh, – he had first suggested doing something with this. And I was like, I would love to be a part of that. Do I have to put my name on it though? Because I'm not out yet. And then, you know, fast forward to a year and I'm like totally out. And then he uh, had to step down for the project. And so I took over and then it was like, well, how do I do this thing? And uh, the BJ Unity is sort of the, is this entity that is uh, the public face of this, uh, of uh, queer, straight allies, former people from Bob Jones. And a lot of people, uh, some people had written uh, versions or earlier excerpt or versions of a story. And so I thought, Mm -hmm. okay, I can, I can, I can hit you up and say, would you like to be a part of this book proposal? I don't know exactly where it's going yet, but I really think we need to do something with this. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so it's it was this, uh, quite a years long process, but uh, uh, it's it's finally happening, and I'm really thankful for that. And but yeah, you know, the major things that we wanted to come away from this is to answer the like the three questions that I think probably Peter gets asked a lot, and Nate, I'm sure you get asked in different contexts too. Mm-hmm. But like, why would you go to such a controlling place? Um, and for us, you know, why would you go if you're queer? Uh, but mm. then like, if you, uh, number two, if you didn't like it, why didn't you just leave? Which is an interesting rhetoric to, mm-hmm. you know, that you could talk about that in America or a lot of ways too, politically yeah. speaking, <laughs> America. But, uh, and then number three, like why and how did you get away from BJU and fundamentalism, the whole network? Mm. So mm-hmm. I want, really wanted every kind of story to touch at least on on those three things in their own way, however they want to do that creatively. And And those three questions are helpful, even for myself, as I kind of work through this, I I think I alluded to it earlier, but even in, in, in therapy, as I'm, I'm, as I'm I'm working through it with my own therapist and, and trying to, to, to regain a sense of these memories from my years at Bob Jones being my memories. Mm -hmm. um, You know, she made this comment about how I, uh, I describe some of these things as, um, as somebody else's memories. and and what's what's helpful for me, I think, are those are those questions asking those things like, why would I choose to go to a place like that? You know, um, why, why not just leave? I, I think from for myself, even as as a cisgender straight man um, who has who has since spurned a lot of that ideology. I think it's helpful to, to think through some of that. So I, I thank you for um, for putting that. Um, into into my mind as I as I work through it, <laughs> very selfishly. But, but thank you. <laughs> well, and you said other people's memories uh, P- that resonated with Peter when you said that. I didn't. What did you mean well, by that? Yeah. Disassociation, I yeah. think, is the yeah. right word yeah. to explain that sort of vibe of when you're talking about your own life story as if it were you're talking about someone else's story rather mm-hmm. than your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I think there there's a part of me that doesn't want to accept that I had I had elected to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, that even, even given my story, even the fact that I, I spent nearly 20 years of my life in a fundamentalist church, mm-hmm. um, and a fundamentalist elementary school, middle school, high school, that th- I wouldn't, I wouldn't have chosen that place. Right. Knowing what I was getting into, I could, I couldn't have chosen that. And yet I did. Um, and I, I, I have to wrestle with that with that fact um i the other thing too that i that i that i think through is at least for me the recognition that all of that independent fundamentalist baptist institutions is a that's a cult uh and it took me a long time to to recognize that for myself 
Um, and, and some, some people, I mean, you all might be on different, on different state at different stages in that, uh, whether acknowledging that or not, but for me, we're going to have to do that has... on cults, Nate. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to come up because <laughs> no, and I'll just say this really fast and throw it out there as a teaser. But when you grow up in evangelicalism and my shirt's sure the same in fundamentalism, you're told, you're told a cult is someone who believes the wrong doctrine. Mm-hmm. So they're Mormon, mm-hmm. they're JW. That's how a cult is defined. They believe something that's wrong about Jesus or God or something fundamental to the, to the fundamentals. <laughs> okay? yeah. yeah. But, but once you start learning about what the actual definition of a cult is, meaning the mind control, the indoctrination, the, 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 the behavioral programming, all of this stuff that you guys described of what Bob Jones looks like. I mean, the definition of a cult is not what we have been told a cult yeah. is. So it's hard to admit that you were in an environment that was, that was a cult, <laughs> right? Like, Lance and Nate, did you either of you take modern cults at Bob Jones? I, you know what, I, I signed up for it and then I ended up dropping it in drop ad period because it conflicted with one of my major classes, but I... I think my sister took it, but yeah, did you? I didn't take it, but I I, knew it was existed. It It was a fascinating class to take. Yeah, uh, especially. I I, no, I don't have the book anymore, but I I remember her. uh, I held on to the book. Didn't they spend a lot? They like Mormons. They did like a lot on Mormons and a lot on um, Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness was one, and then um, a big chunk on Mormons, and then also on the uh, the Korean the Church of Christ uh, in Korea, right. Right. Yeah. The, oh, not the Moonies. Yeah, the Moonies. The, uh, yep. the Moonies. Okay. Yeah, that one yeah. too. Yeah. But yeah, it was wow. fascinating to hear how they like what they thought of cults and what defined a cult. Mm. And like, and that's a that was a things, Bible class, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a Bible class. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um. I. I like. I know we can go on. Yeah. Uh. Forever. <laughs> and and I think even after I I hit stop on the recording, I'm sure we'll have some more stuff to talk about. But um. I, I, I want to thank you both uh, for coming on here. Um, the book is called BJU and Me, Queer Voices from the World's Most Christian University. Um, it's put together, uh, edited by Lance Weldy. Um, I will we'll go ahead and put the, the link to pre-order it in the show notes. Um, Lance, do you know when it's coming out? Uh, the University of Georgia Press says like uh, June 15th. Um, and so, uh, Amazon says maybe May, end of May, you know, I don't know what the difference, but hopefully, you know, by middle of June. So happy pride. And before people can get to, um, reading your book, I'm just thinking there is a resource you mentioned. Was it Bob Jones unity? Oh yeah. BJ unity. BJ unity. Yeah. And we'll we'll get the details of that. that Yes. 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 Yeah. We'll put the link in there as well. Um, you know, if, if by any chance uh there are any students uh, who are listening to this podcast um there are there are resources and there are people who who want to support you whether and I'm that sure they can look either of you up peter are you open if people want to reach out to you if there's any queer bob jones students are you open to people sending you a sure, message or yeah less? why not <laughs> i less can too. yeah throw my instagram or something up there Sure, sure. Um, so, so we'll put some links to your to your social media, you know, and we'll keep it social media so that it's not like people are getting into your uh, into your emails or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so we'll do that. Uh, I'll 
put a link to your Instagram if you're okay with that. Um, and then uh, again, the the link to BJ Unity will put into the uh, into the show notes. And and I think it, it's important to know that no matter here's here's the thing that I, and and something that I learned from from my therapist and something we actually talked about in a previous episode with a uh, um, with Kayla Felton who who's a religious trauma specialist. Um, like we're not trying to influence you one way or the other. If this is still your expression of belief or faith, nobody's trying to convince you not to believe that, but we are trying to to express to you that there is a, a healthy way to fully embrace who you are as a person um, and hopefully embrace your faith. And if that journey takes, whatever, wherever that journey takes you of exploring your faith, know that, that the, the most important thing is to know that you're safe, that you're healthy, and, and that uh, there are people who, who are willing to help and support you. Um, so anyway, I don't, want, I don't want to give the last word. So if, if Lance or Peter, if you, want, if you have anything that you want to share, uh, please feel free to do so. <laughs> go ahead, Peter. I mean, I'll just, yeah, go ahead. Oh, just I, again, thank you for letting me part, letting me be part of this, and to you know share my story. It's, I know it's a, un, it's not completely unique, but it's it's one that I think that people would benefit from hearing. I know that there are a lot of people out there who have gone through similar situations, and it's it's good to know that you're not alone, and that there is light on the other side, and that um, absolutely you don't have to hide. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I would just echo that too. And thanks for having uh, us both on here. And I'd say thanks, Peter, for contributing to the book, because without these stories, uh, we wouldn't really have this book. So uh, I'm so happy that it's finally coming out. I can't tell you. I don't know. Peter will be happy to finally see it out, too. (laughs) Uh, But that's its own kind of backstory of how to get things published in this world. But that's yeah. another story. But I thank you both, Nate and Gail, for being fun people to talk to. And and uh, Nate, we uh, will get back with you on how you did on your creed uh, recitation. <laughs> I think you were not word perfect. And to pass orientation, it has to be word perfect. So you'll have to find the TA and uh, the admin building uh, 101B. What was it? Uh, like, there's going to be yeah. a lot of the- Bob Jones reminiscing going on behind the scenes once this podcast is done. Well, we sing, you have to sing Praise You Jehovah at least one verse of it before you can leave this podcast. But um, yeah. Well, yeah, or, or, well, or sing Just As I Am without one uh, plea. Yes. Say, the, one, the one that Nate and I would remember is the most sobering reality in the world. Oh, uh, in the world today. Is is that that people, people are dying, dying and going, going to hell today. today. One, of our, uh, one of our chapters ends with that. Wow. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, one of our Megan talks about that in her chapter. Yep. So, uh, wow, you'll, you'll be blessed by that. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> Can't wait. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That wraps up another episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you don't already have one, head over to our website, fullmutuality.com, for a list of all the apps you can find us on. We couldn't do this without you, our listeners. So thank you so much for your continued support. Speaking of support, one of the best things you can do for us is to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. I'm pretty sure five-star reviews get you an extra crown in heaven. Look, seriously, if you found this episode insightful, spread the word and share it with your friends. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Full Mutuality. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast.